Hello, everybody. I am Nerd Slayer. I am your host. This is Six Pixels Under, the podcast where we talk about all things gaming, but also things MMOs. And this week we will be talking about, well, a lot of Blizzard stuff, but also we'll talk a little bit about Assassin's Creed's newest game. We'll talk about the Fallout 76 stuff. And is Call of Duty Black Ops an actual good game? We will also talk about some other sad news, like the KOTOR 1 remake being uh, C&D'd, unfortunately. And I have some good topics this week that also branch a little bit outside of gaming. Not entirely. A little bit. If I look tired today, it's because I am tired. <laughs> but we'll just go ahead and start the podcast without a hitch. So there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about this week, but I'll save those big topics until the soapbox section uh, later on. I also have a counterpoint to talk about today. No from the vault section. And I have a couple call-ins that are, I guess, uh, people are doing call-ins like the, the couple days before now, if they're not able to be here live for the podcast. So I appreciate that, which I also offer that to any of you guys as well, if you're interested in such. I'll go ahead and get straight into the uh, gaming news for this week. Uh, where is my title track? We'll have to figure this out on the go. <laughs> I have my little image that I prop up on the screen. And for the people who don't watch it live, they're probably like, well, this doesn't mean anything to me at all. I assure you. This is important. What is with this thing? Okay, let me get this image up on screen really quickly. There it goes. Yay. When Look, this is eSports, right? And, and everything that's eSports means we do it on the fly. We do it on the go. Here is my topic. It is current gaming news. Okay, and so the first topic that I wanted to talk about is going to be Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed Odyssey has basically been like the equivalent of a fart in the room has somehow turned into gold. It's strange. I think the whole Assassin's Creed ordeal is a strange one. They went from being kind of like pretty good games to kind of seeming a little bit played out after a certain point. Their most recent games, everybody kind of collectively was saying like, all right, the formula's played out. You guys have ran out of ideas. Um, Black Flag was okay, but not everybody was raving about the game, right? But Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, just recently they released that it's actually become the most played game, which is kind of crazy to think about because, uh, as I just mentioned, uh, to go from basically media darling in some ways, because Assassin's Creed, the first couple, I would probably say like the first two are definitely very big cult classics at first. And then once obviously Ubisoft started uh, turning out more and more Assassin's Creeds, it started to become, well formulaic in ways but they they switch things up for assassin's creed odyssey and i haven't personally played the game so maybe for you guys who have played the game i'm curious what you think it looks pretty cool and and the funny thing is is whenever we thought of assassin's creed going to greece and doing kind of like the you know spartan or uh you know roman soldier kind of thing we we saw it as being like gimmicky, right? Because we're like we're all thinking to ourselves, well, Assassin's Creed is like this one particular like thing. It's it's Ezio, it's Italian or whatever else, or it's American and or more Americanized or Westernized, right? But with Odyssey, they actually put a lot of attention to detail 
uh, for the game. And I think that that probably does a really good job of building up the vibe. But they've got new and and I would say slightly altered uh, typical quests like you would experience in a normal Assassin's Creed game. But they feel a little bit better, a little bit fresher in this. And that's really all you need with these action game kind of models, in my opinion, is you just need to do a little bit better than the one that you did before while also doing, you know, maybe much better, you would say, in regards to a setting change, because you can't have the same setting over and over again, even if the game is really good, because even that can get old to some extent. So I found the whole Assassin's Creed uh, thing to be quite interesting, to see them go from you know, very bad to... Uh, that's, that's one of those things where we as a community were kind of wrong collectively. I think we can all say that. <laughs> when we first saw Assassin's Creed Odyssey, we're all just like, lol, they're running out of ideas now, they're going to Greece, like... They're just throwing in female characters, whatever. Like people are just complaining about, you know, incessant things. And now it seems to be not so vindicated when uh, it's 33% more uh, played or has more players on Steam than last year for Assassin's Creed. So, you know, kudos to Ubisoft, even if we hate to say congratulations to that company as a whole. Although <laughs> I'm glad, or they're probably glad that they don't have to deal with Vivendi anymore trying to like hostily uh, take over their company. So the uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into the next topic. Not much uh, more commentary on that. Uh, the next topic is going to be Fallout 76. So this has been big news recently. Obviously, it's been kind of like what I like to call the media slash info dump lately. And everybody has been talking about all things Fallout 76. Good and bad, we have videos titled Fallout 76 is a strangely lonely multiplayer game. You have, I have concerns about Fallout uh, 76. I've also seen Fallout 76 might not be for you. Those are a lot of very polarizing video titles. And usually when an author or a content creator has such a video that has such a slanted uh, title, they're definitely trying to communicate something to you. And I think in regards to uh, Fallout 76 at the moment, it's probably going to have to do with the fact that, well, there's there's a couple things. Uh, one of the big things is that there isn't any NPCs in the game. So that in itself is already a huge, huge change for the Fallout franchise that has basically always been about NPCs and interactions with NPCs. So people are up in arms about that. Uh, of course, there's the very controversial feature in regards to the bounty system and how PvP works in the game. But it's a double-edged sword because although there is PvP in the game and they certainly uh, kind of, I guess, force some players to have to deal with that no matter what, they're not really giving enough content into the game in regards to PvP for it to be really worthwhile on its own. So it almost seems like PvP in Fallout 76 at the moment seems to be almost like a gimmick to some extent is how I would describe it at this current uh, moment. It certainly feels like a gimmick, and uh, I, I think that, <laughs> so there's been a lot of, sorry about that, I was preloading a video, but it, there's been a lot of funny memes surrounding Fallout 76, and I feel like we should dive into those uh, on this show. By the way, I got a haircut, if anybody didn't notice that, thank you for noticing everybody. Yeah, I'm not like the girlfriend who's going to get mad at you, but I'm certainly going to be like, come on guys, you got to notice all the hair is missing from my head. But with Fallout 76, it's I've heard a lot of rumors and a lot of memes, right? And the, the most prevalent meme at this point probably has to be that, oh, they're just getting practice in, so whenever they do the Elder Scrolls uh, co-op, or then when they do the Elder Scrolls uh, multiplayer lobby, right? I hear a lot of jokes about that. I hear a lot of memes about that. 
and I, look, I get it. I, I can kind of see the memes there a little bit. Yes, to some extent, you do have to, you know, put into consideration that uh, Bethesda could be testing the tech, right? This is the first time they've really taken one of their titles <laughs> to a multiplayer genre. But it's just funny to think about that people are going into super conspiracy mode and they're just like, well, they don't really care about Fallout 6 or 76. They're just going to do fall or they're just going to do Fallout test multiplayer just so they can get used to and, and ready for the newest uh, Elder Scrolls experience. Obviously, um, I think that they want uh, Fallout 76 to stick, but so far it's not looking like it's sticking or going to be sticking. And I think, like I said, uh, the, the things that we've outlined already, but there's another one in particular that I know uh, definitely has people up in arms. So this is a video showcasing how the VAT system works in Fallout 76. We'll have to see if he can acquire another target here to demonstrate what we're talking about. Okay, so it looks like he goes into VATS mode and chooses his targets. But the difference, obviously, it being a multiplayer game, is that it doesn't lock him in place. Neither does it lock his opponent in place in any slow-mo. It doesn't slow down time at all. Time is normal speed, and you can choose your targets at normal speed. Which sounds cool in theory, but whenever you have this weird like camera system where it doesn't actually snap to your gun or anything, it sort of looks like you're just like aimbotting, and it's just like doing it based on the percentage of whatever your you know your to hit is right in this scenario. It looks totally disjointed when you're not looking. Like you can literally snap your vats while you're just ha while you have your target in your like periphery like vision. And it just looks very strange because your character is basically not snapping like you would maybe in a true aimbot, but it's more like your gun has the aimbot. <laughs> that's that's the way I think about it. With the Fallout 76 VAT system, it, it looks like to me like your gun is the one that has the aimbot, not you as the player. It certainly, uh, I think, got people a little bit confused. And... I don't want to say that they can't fix that before launch, but at this point, I mean, they're not entirely far away from their launch, if you want to call it that, uh, these days. I don't even know if you can call those things launches anymore whenever they're early access or this access or whatever else. Well, uh, someone said previously, people have been saying Ubisoft has a lot of good people working there from devs, but mainly writers let loose so they can create some amazing stuff. That's good to see. Back to the Assassin's Creed topic. Uh, Self-aiming uh, gun OP is basically what I think about when I think about the new Fallout 76 VAT system. Uh, Luden says that Red Dead Redemption multiplayer had a way better solution. I totally agree. Uh, it's strange that they didn't go with something like that. Or even Max Payne had some uh, similarities in regards to the way they slowed down time. It's not looking so pretty. And Fallout 76 just has me kind of collectively scratching my head because I'm just like... What is their vision with this game? That's what I ask myself when I look at any game or I go into any game and I'm just curious. I mean, just so you guys know, uh, to show this on screen for full effect. Uh, sorry, that's not what I... I didn't want to show myself on screen for full effect, but it here's the vast video that I just linked. It has 494 dislikes, <laughs> and the majority of the videos that I've seen are very much this way. Fans are not happy with the VAT system at the moment. It doesn't seem rewarding in the slightest. And I've heard uh, stories from people who've played the game that there's really no point in using it other than maybe to get like a really long distance headshot. Should have done it the way 007 everything, nothing, or seconds. Oh, okay. The vision, you mean? 
Well, Vats is definitely a big part uh, of the game card, even if it's, I guess, not necessarily one that you or even me specifically. I don't really care about Vats uh, specifically, but it's like this iconic feature. That, and when the iconic feature isn't going to work properly in your upcoming, you know, very hyped but weirdly announced game, Fallout 76 has, uh, 76 has this weird, like, cloud around it. I don't know if anyone else has seen that, but it has this weird cloud where it's like, we want to acknowledge it. We we all want to say that it's a real thing and maybe even like take the mental fortitude or or you know take some mental capacity to actually like analyze what it is. But all of us are kind of just like wanting to ignore it, and that's a strange thing. Like, why is a Fallout game creating that kind of like interaction within us? Why are we feeling like oh, I want to ignore this? I think some people will probably point uh, first to the whole PvP thing and PvP not being optional. People, I think, are maybe they could do PvE servers. I don't know if that's 100% confirmed. Uh, there's also a lot of details of the game. I think Bethesda has done a really poor job of explaining what the game is or what it's attempting to accomplish. Somebody in chat just said basically that. They said, I still don't even know what Fallout 76 is. And I agree with you, uh, Captain Wonder. I don't know what it is either. They don't even know how much players are going to be in a single instance. They've given, like somewhat uh numbers to people but they're they've never been like hard numbers i've heard two dozen i've heard dozens of people this is clearly not an mmo right we could say that a dozen people probably doesn't constitute as a massive multiplayer online game so then what is their market are they going for modules are they selling expansions or or season pass type stuff maps or whatever else or or, or i guess not maps if they're going to go for this big map but Maybe more content hey, missions thanks. or something. I'm but not really sure exactly guy. what Fallout 76 is attempting people, to go to. Wise and pretending to know how to fight with my hands. Hey, thanks for resubbing, uh, Rafnar Caldon. I think I forgot to turn. Oh no, I left the sub uh, noises on just so everybody knows. I am currently, as you can see, at 14 sub points. If you look below my name uh, or below this picture right here, that 14 out of 50 means that once I hit 50, from now on, I will be wearing the noir slash detective outfit of my choosing or or the choosing of my local thrift store uh, on the podcast and for uh, future podcasts. I will also be releasing a video next month that will be detailing, kind of like, have you guys seen the recent no clip video? It's going to be very similar, except we're going to put a lot more shots of me in character and wearing the outfit. So we're, oh, okay, what's up, Rafnar? I see that you said that you're at your break, so you can actually watch a little bit right now. What's going on? All right, uh, so is, does anybody else have anything to add about Fallout 76? I mean, what really can we add at this point? The vision is unsure. When a developer has a hard time or has a hard time demonstrating or explaining to people what their game is, you know that their vision isn't really strong, right? It's not really set in stone yet. Maybe they don't even know what their vision is, right? That's a pretty good assumption to make. And a good example of this is like, when you think about a video game, the way that I've heard it described by people like Chris Avalon is like, it's like you have your elevator pitch, right? And then you continue to go down the list of of how you're trying to assess your story, right? So you create your framework and then you you build kind of from the ground up, so to say. And so that, in, in most cases, that's why a vision, right? The, the idea behind a game sounds so great, right? It's like ideas are so hard to disprove. We've talked about this on the podcast before, but how do you say that an idea of a game is bad, right? That's, you can't really, right? It's, it's, it's hard to say that unless you can point to specifics or, or just, you know, kind of assume that things will go a certain way. 
well, whenever the game is actually, you know, playable or whatever else. And, and, uh, man, <laughs> sorry, I just thought about something that I, I think I told a couple of you guys, but, uh, last week I actually, I injured my knee pretty horribly. Like I ripped something in it. I tore something in it and it's been so bad, uh, the pain, like I can't really walk or whatever else. But I just thought that, man, it's been making me digest far more news in the world of gaming. So it's kind of like funny to think about how for us who work a desk job or, or work at home even or work in gaming, uh, injured or not, depression or not, video games always sell. <laughs> video games are always around. But I won't uh, bore you guys with the sob stories of that. What I wanted to get into next is actually a topic that I'm personally very invested into. And that is the most recent Call of Duty. Call of Duty Black Ops 4 has recently come out a couple of days ago. I think uh, four days at this point, technically. On Metacritic, it's managed to garner uh, 87 out of 100 as a score. Uh, of course, a bunch of different review companies have said good things about the game. Game Informer gave it a 9.5. Uh, What's the other one? Uh, uh, PC Games gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, US, uh, US Gamer hasn't actually rated it yet. Sorry, I was trying to look at this thread to see if they actually rated it yet. Point being, it's probably performing the best that Call of Duty has in some time. And I don't just mean commercially. I'm also talking from a perspective of um, just design, right? Have you guys been playing Call of Duty Black Ops 4? And I know some people might be asking, well, what does Call of Duty Black Ops have to do with MMOs or have to do with Nerd Slayer? Well, as you guys probably have realized with me, I love MMOs, but I also love multiplayer games. And there's just something about the way Call of Duty is, is handling Black Ops 4. It just seems very, it seems very polished so far. And it feels very polished so far. Let me go ahead and show you guys what I'm talking about on screen. So this is how... Uh, Call of Duty Black Ops is currently doing on Metacritic. I think it technically went down one point. But it's doing pretty favorable in regards to the... Uh, oh, sorry. That's the PS4. W why do they go for the PS4 game whenever you... Okay, here it goes. It, it seems like people are certainly complaining about uh, matchmaking and the uh, performance issues, though. We should certainly mention it. And we'll probably mention in the in the next com uh, couple of weeks... But what is everybody's opinion of uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 4? The reason why I wanted to bring up this topic is I personally haven't really ever had like big, uh, I guess, interests in the Call of Duty franchise. It's always been kind of tertiary for me in some ways. And I've played it just because, well, they stopped making Halo games that are good, <laughs> basically, at this point. is why I got into COD. But what threw me off about Black Ops 4 is here's a game that's the fourth in the, in the sequel, right? Like you don't you don't anticipate that Black Ops Four could be better than three, two, one, right? Typically, when we make sequels, we especially with uh, TV shows, we kind of assume they're all going to be terrible after the first two or three seasons, right? Well, with Call of Duty Black Ops Four, it was like they specifically took more time and trying to develop the kind of game that they wanted to uh, push out, but also. For me, at least, it seems like they almost developed like three games or three mini games simultaneously. And what I mean is that in Call of Duty Black Ops, the reason why I've been enjoying the game, uh, spoiler, I've been enjoying the game. It's got three major modes, basically. And I mean, major standalone kind of 
mode slash games to some extent. You have the zombie experience, which is great, by the way. Probably one of the best zombie experiences I've experienced in a game. It also has the uh, blackout section, a.k.a. the battle royale section, to capitalize on that big battle royale trend. And blackout has been doing quite well. In fact, I would probably say Black Ops's battle royale is probably its most successful, or at least most popular feature. That's probably the one that you're going to see the majority of the time on Twitch, for example. But then you also have the multiplayer maps, and you have the multiplayer game modes, and they have tons of different game modes. You're talking like over a dozen game modes. Uh, they have the zombie modes, which have four different challenges for each map. There's multiple maps. I think there's even a map in the DLC. <clears throat> Basically, Black Ops 4, to me, just feels like a content overload in a good way. And, it, and it's very strange and very odd in the age of... Uh, games as a service that you can actually say a Call of Duty game, an Activision game came out and actually has a fulfilling and fun gameplay experience. Now, I won't say it's, of course, uh, divorced of any issues. Obviously, I'm sure people have many criticisms with Call of Duty uh, Black Ops 4, but also the Call of Duty franchise in general. I don't blame them. For example, Black Ops 4 doesn't have a campaign for the first time ever in a COD game. That means something to some people. I, as a, uh, I guess, casual fan, have always played the campaigns, but I've known many of my friends who've never played a single campaign. So it doesn't really surprise me at this point that they're just like, you know what? Treyarch's just like, we just won't do one. <laughs> we just won't waste anybody's time and try and do one. Anybody else have any thoughts about uh, Black Ops 4? Our mechanics haven't changed in years. If you're out of the loop, you'll enjoy it. Unless they royally screw up. Yeah, that's a good point, Saximus. I mean, basically, they can rely to some extent on a tried and true formula, but 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 add a little bit more variety in regards to kind of these other gameplay modes, which I think they've done. Uh, they've sorry done a good job of doing. <clears throat> okay, there's mission like campaign though to some extent, and also the zombie mode in uh, Black Ops 4 does have story as well. I haven't exactly figured it out myself, but um, I digress. <clears throat> okay, so my second topic, or sorry, I guess my final topic, I, I can count. Uh, I'm a big kid now. My last topic, we should get the sad violins out. Let me pull the sad violin out. All right, so as everybody knows, KOTOR 1 and KOTOR 2, amazing Star Wars RPG experiences. Well, recently there was a casualty, and it turns out that Poem Studios, AKA the company behind Epiron, which was a full Unreal Engine remake of uh, KOTOR 1, has been sent a cease and desist letter from Lucasfilm. Now, for anybody who knows how a C&D works or knows how copyright law or anything of that sort works, you're not the least bit surprised about this, right? Especially when a company like Lucasfilm, although you might for, in some ways be like, well, why does Lucasfilm care so much in this case? Why don't they just let them make a good game? Well, it's kind of like I'm sure Blizzard wasn't so happy when Path of Exile cucked them in regards to Diablo, right? Like... Yeah, even if they bought the Path of Exile team, right, and made that the new Diablo, to some extent, they're still not the ones doing it. It's pride to some extent, 
but it's also that you don't want your your fan base to make a better game than you, right? In this case, you don't want them to make a better remake than you. So even though Aperion multiple times tried to tell people it's a full conversion mod, which would kind of, you know, be some little, uh, it'd be a little bit of a loophole in regards to the way the uh, law works. And so they wouldn't be able to be shut down just immediately. Uh, I was scrolling to find this other, somebody else mentioned in this, uh, that they, <laughs> on their website, it literally said, there's a question on Aperion's uh, website at the time, the KOTOR 1 remake. Uh, it said, uh, is this legal? And their answer was basically something along the lines of, we think so. <laughs> Look, it's sad, okay? I don't mean to laugh at anybody. People have put innumerable amounts of hours and full conversion mods and remakes and remasters and all of these different things. Skywin, uh, Moro Oblivion, all of these different things exist in the TS universe or at least don't exist completely yet. They're not done or whatever, but they exist in some capacity. Look, I get it. I don't mind remakes. I don't mind remasters. I love when the community can band together and say, you know what, let's make the game this kind of way or let's remake the game based on its new engine or whatever else, right? I love when people put that amount of time and effort into things, especially things that they're passionate into, in this case, video games. I also obviously am very passionate about KOTOR as well as Star Wars, but in this case, it's just kind of like, what do you expect at this point, right? It's hard to feel completely bad because, you know, obviously, by all accounts, you know, you feel bad. The whole situation is a bad taste in your mouth. But in a big boy, when you put your big boy pants on in the world of adults, so to say, you're kind of just like, look, guys, we have to expect this at, the, at this point. Uh, private servers have dealt with this in MMORPGs for the longest time, right? At any time, the, the developer or the publisher can send you a and d letter and you don't have the money nor ability to fight them, right, on the grounds of law. Are you willing to take that risk? Most people and most companies aren't. And this has happened to many private server companies. This has happened to many remaster companies, remake companies. All of these different companies that have the great idea that we'll take a pre-existing IP and we're going to remake it in some fan way. Unfortunately, the main dev, the main publisher can just stamp you out like a little bug whenever they want to. And, and and it's sad to some extent. And certainly in regards to private servers and MMOs, we can have the discussion as to should they also have the right to do that after they've shut down all of the live servers. That's a discussion I think is certainly worth having. having. And I personally think that it'd be great if we could get rid of that kind of, I guess, stigma in the law surrounding not being able to take a, a project that was failed at some point and kind of, you know, giving it back life or even giving it some type of private server if I'm going to draw the kind of comparison or draw the scenario to be more like MMO related in this case. It's sad, but it's also like, look, I love private servers as much as the next guy and I love remakes as much as the next guy. But this is just a, a concern that we're going to have to start to, I guess, look out for more. And it's sad because it's certainly going to hamper growth in the way of the you know mod community and, and just community content in general, right? It's going to kind of keep people from wanting to do big, ambitious like remakes or remasters or full conversions or whatever else. But this is just the lay of the land at the moment, right? Uh, the lay of the law, so to say. And there's really nothing that we can do about this. But uh, it's, still see, it's still sad to see Aperion go, um, especially when I was you know 
watching them on Twitter and watching all of their updates and the models looked fantastic and everything. But at the end of the day, you guys don't own those models. You don't own those characters. You don't own the story. A full conversion mod isn't the same thing as a remake or, or a remaster. Uh, in this case, it's a remake and, and the Unreal Engine is what they were trying to do. That You still don't own those characters. So it's sad, but it's also kind of like, well, what really did you expect at this point, right? You have to be careful about that. It <laughs> should have been KOTOR 2. It sets a dangerous precedent? Uh, I wouldn't say it sets a dangerous... Oh, sorry, you mean a dangerous precedent from the uh, perspective of the developer or publisher. I totally agree. Uh, the publisher can't afford to let somebody make their game or handle their, their IP in such a way because it, it, it erodes their IP, right? And the way copyright law works to some extent, you have to constantly reassert legally, right? Your rights. But also, uh, to some extent, we could probably mention they could lose money if a fan project is, is outperforming them, right? It could hurt their reputation. These are other things that these companies, these big corporations have to take into consideration, that you and I, the layman, we're not thinking about these things, right? We're thinking, well, dude, if you get cucked because they made a better game than you, then it's your own fault. Like, we don't care, right? But obviously, <laughs> the corporation has to uphold their IP. And even if that means not really doing so in the, um, in the goodness of the IP in itself, right? It's more so their self-interest. I think we've realized that, right? If, you're, if I'm 25 years old, most of you guys are probably 18, 19, 20 at this point. You're, all the naivety has probably gone away and you realize at this point, if it makes sense, it makes dollars, but also that uh, companies who own and, and these publishing groups and rights groups that own different IPs, they don't r normally care about the IP and its artistic uh, potential or, or properties. They care more about how much money it makes them and they don't care as much about its individuality as much as they care about it working in the way that they want it to work, right? So they're going to protect their rights, even if that means that advancing the genre or the mythos or universe, you know, on, it, on itself, right? or in itself, I should say. Okay, so that's my last uh, topic for the current gaming topic section. I'm going to go into a counterpoint this week. This, uh, of course, I should always explain what counterpoint is. Counterpoint is a segment of the podcast. It doesn't always happen every week, but when it does happen, I basically play devil's advocate to a prominent gaming issue or what I perceive to be a devil's advocate because obviously I don't know unless I'm just going to poll everybody, which we'll talk about later, but uh, I digress. In this case, uh, the topic that I want to talk about most is... Okay. Everybody pull up your knickers on this one, right? P pull up the big boy pants. I'm so tired of the rhetoric and the edginess that I see in preteens and teenagers. All the comments I get in messages and, and discussions around the web, around Reddit, around YouTube and all of these. I'm so tired of people coming out and saying that they think that an MMO is going to fail or that all MMOs are going to fail, and they say it like they're like being some sort of messiah, or they're so enlightened, they're like, I know this MMO is going to fail. <laughs> Look, this isn't a hot take anymore, okay? 
PSA to everybody. It is no longer a hot take to say that an MMO is going to fail pre-launch, okay? It's not a hot take anymore. That's the statistic. That's the statistic. <laughs> it's more likely it's going to fail, right? In this day and age, especially in this day and age, than succeed. So you're not being edgy. You're not being cool. You're not enlightened. You're not, you know, big brain atheists. You're none of that, right? If you make the claim that a game is going to fail and you have nothing to go off rather than just history or historical reasons or, well, they most likely hey, are going to. Thanks. You're not, you've got you're not edgy guy. anymore. You're I'm not, good at you're shooting not on people, the, uh... cracking wise, and pretending to know how to fight with my hands. <laughs> you're not on the cutting edge of your, of your pundit, uh, pundancy, right? Or, or of your status as a pundit anymore. And how can we grow from that, right? How can we get out of that? I'm not going to say just all of a sudden swing the other way and be like, it's going to succeed. It's going to succeed because you want to be that, you know, pointless contrarian or whatever else, or, or you want to be on the right side of history. I'm not saying that we just have to completely buck the trend and go the other way. I'm just pointing out that, look, to all of you that love to talk about MMOs failing and that the next MMO is going to fail, understand, I don't do this because I want to be edgy, right? I'm not doing this because I'm like, Oh, I'm so negative. Like I see some people say that in my most recent uh, WoW video. I got a lot of comments surrounding that, the, like the rhetoric of like, oh, well, uh, you just, you're angry at things and you just are never happy about anything. It, well, that's not true, right? The majority of my videos, it's just recounting events, right? Uh, the other, uh, I guess, 25% of that video is me talking about the reception of the game, right? which is, in most cases, non-biased to myself unless I heavily played the game or whatever else. But I'm just so tired of seeing people say that, oh, it's going to fail, oh, it's going to fail. You're not cool, okay? You're not edgy. You're not, you're not making a revolutionary statement and saying that. You're just saying what everybody else is thinking and what we've all seen before, right? At this point, it's a surprise if we get a game, let alone a good one, right? <laughs> thank you for subbing uh midri i really appreciate that the twitch prime sub we're back up to 15 let me change that on screen for those who are not watching i'm changing the uh sub goal from 15 or 14 to 15 thanks uh goosey b for the uh, uh thanks for always giving me the uh bit donations goosey b i appreciate that good to see that you're watching all right that was just my little fun <laughs> counterpoint for the week <laughs> I didn't want to get too serious in the topic, uh, kind of my version of a shit post or something. But yeah, it's just been getting annoying because I see it a lot, and it's almost like you see them hit you with the punchline, and you and you think to yourself, they really think that they're being insightful by saying that, or they're being unique. You're not, okay? <laughs> All right. So the first topic, uh, or sorry, the hey, next section thanks. of the podcast the is going to I'm be MMOs on the go. Wise and pretending to MMOs on the go is a segment where we talk about, well, all things MMO, and it's going to be on the go, so to say, or in this case, it's just going to be, sorry, I'm pressing buttons all over the place. <laughs> this is why I need a producer. Damn it. I'm just kidding. Or maybe I should get a stream deck or whatever else that would probably help me. Uh, thank you for subbing Brawly. I, re I really appreciate that. We're now up to uh, 16 subs on the sub goal. It's funny. You talk about things and all of a sudden you start getting people subbing. I appreciate that. That means that we are... Uh, I can do math, but we are 44 away from our sub goal of putting me in a costume. Okay, so the first topic for MMOs on the go this week is going to be 
Battle for Azeroth, everybody. Yes, I just recently put out a video on this, so this is very relevant. But I personally wanted to show, if, if people haven't seen this video, I really recommend seeing this video. I just had to make sure I could do math, uh, Snaximus, at this point, uh, waking up at this uh, current juncture and being as tired as I feel right now. Problem that I have so Asmongold has made a video concerning the state of Battle for Azeroth. And I've actually watched this entire video. I'll link it in chat for those who haven't seen it. I recently have made my own video concerning BFA, if people remember that. That's where I discussed why I don't play BFA. And what you'll notice from watching both of these videos is that, well, I don't come from the same kind of WoW background that Asmongold uh, has, but there's a lot of similarities. And when there's similarities and people who don't know each other, and yes, we don't know each other. I know there's a meme that goes around that I used to be his guild leader or something like that. <laughs> I see that meme all the time. Keep that meme going, guys. I think it's hilarious. Someone keep that going. So every time I join the chat, just always be like, oh, are you Gold's guild leader? Anyway, what I meant to say is that when you start to hear the same criticism repeated and repeated, what you start to notice is that where there's smoke, there's fire, right? And obviously, if you've seen my video or if you've seen the State of Battle uh, for Azeroth video that Asmongold did, you probably know that the majority of where the overlap is going to be is going to be around Azerite armor, island expeditions, uh, probably feedback loops and, and to regard, in regards to the way gameplay works. I like that Asmongold took a lot of time to go into kind of gear progression and how gear progression has kind of suffered in a lot of ways, as well as like being able to differentiate yourself with gear and, and skill and, and needing to be a certain level of gear or ability in order to get certain types of items, right? That progression loop or whatever, the, the, the raid progression has kind of been muddled in some ways. Point being, though, is that it's, this is one of the few instances I could ever remember a big, you know, massive publisher or, and developer, in this case, being Blizzard, just blatantly and openly disagree with its audience. It's a very strange thing to see, but we've seen this happen from the game director perspective. We've seen this on producers. We've seen even like prior president, uh, or I think it was like a, um, might've been an executive producer, but we've seen a lot of weird hoop. We saw, uh, <laughs> we, we saw a wow developer uh, trash talking people. Uh, I think it was someone mentioned a Twitter comment or whatever else. I've seen that mentioned. Asmongold also mentions the uh, feedback loop and and how the developers at this point, because of negative feedback, have insulated themselves and have said that they've insulated themselves, which all it does is tell the community that <clears throat> our issues of being criticized by you are more important than your issues of playing the game that we're trying to sell you, right? This is kind of what it's communicating to me. I would probably say right now, WoW is probably in the worst state that it's been in some time. And I know for some people that seems to be some edgy comment. It's not really. I mean, Battle for Azeroth is clearly, uh, well in a way, the worst expansion for the game. This is proven by just about every metric and statistic, right, in regards to um, player satisfaction. If you just go look at user reviews and stuff and and go read the forums, like a lot of if you just basically overwhelm yourself with anecdotes at this point, eventually it becomes evidence, right? And we can count all of that up together. We've got some level of evidence and we certainly feel vindicated. I feel vindicated to see a guy who's been playing WoW for 12 years now 
basically have a lot of the same uh, concerns and criticisms that I have as somebody who's kind of been impartial to WoW in the sense that I've never really played it. I've never really hated it. It kind of just always existed around me and I've kind of played around it to some extent. Can do math, <laughs> can do math misses it by 10. I know that's my first number certainly missing, I uh, missed it. <laughs> Warlords of Draenor was pretty bad. The ending of the expansion was not bad. The beginning and middle was horrible. Yeah, that, that's what I've heard a lot as well. I've heard uh, WOD is kind of mentioned to be the kind of worst expansion before BFA took the title. But at this point, uh, this is where I kind of have to open up the dialogue to... Is WoW becoming played out? Are the WoW developers just completely out of touch with their game? Could it be both, Right. Is WoW looking to a or sorry, is Blizzard looking to abandon WoW? I've heard people say that they believe that they're setting up the lore for the World of Warcraft uh, universe to end with World of Warcraft. <clears throat> I don't know if that's true. That's speculation to some extent. But I think we're all sort of wondering when we see the king of MMOs kind of you know th think about the old feudal era when you see the lord of your castle or the or the king of your castle stumble a little bit you're you're kind of sitting there like how am i gonna get mine right i want to get something out of this and so other developers are probably rather happy to see while suffering to some extent right because it means that it dilutes the market or or possibly could give them more room to impress or whatever else but at the end of the day it's still the most popular mmorpg and will be for some time so it's like when we talk about oh it's on a downpour it's always not doing so well right now like it's very relative, obviously. At this point, it's extremely relative. <laughs> like it's, its levels of success aren't uh, determined by its uh, competitors. Competitors, right? Because they're not really competitors. They can't really make WoW feel anything on a large scale. Whereas WoW has, and, and, and done many times, killed games outright because of its good performance, right? <laughs> um, is Blizzard going to uh, abandon WoW? Is it going to abandon Warcraft, perhaps? Unless they're going to do remakes of 3 or 2 or 1 or whatever else. Or remasters, I should say. Probably more likely since they've done the StarCraft 2 remaster. Or maybe our conspiracy theory of Diablo is going to come true. I don't know at this point, right? It's, it's fun to speculate, but we can certainly say things aren't looking good for WoW right now. And rightfully so. Blizzard has been rather arrogant. And very flippant in the way that they've been uh, responding to things. And somebody in my Discord said it best yesterday. I believe it was Card, but I'm not entirely sure uh, who it was. No, it, it, it wouldn't have been Card. He was probably sleeping. But somebody said something along the lines of, of credit to you, whoever said this. Um, you'll probably correct me. But uh, the person said that in regards to uh, Battle for Azeroth, it seems like at this point, uh, Asmongold said this as well. Uh, so this person echoed his sentiments to some extent, but it looks like Blizzard with Battle for Azeroth is just completely out of touch with its audience, right? I think we can safely say that. And typically where you see this kind of problem arise is when like a corporation or a company has had like an insane level of success to the point to the where they can't trust anecdote anymore, right? Because they're not getting enough information. So it becomes more about statistics for them, right? They can't trust word of mouth anymore. When, when Joe Blow says that the game's too hard, they can't really listen to him or when a couple Joe Blows say that, right? 
They have metrics to pay attention to, analytics. They're looking for keywords. They're looking for what is resonating the most, what's being asked the most on the forums. And they're trying to craft an experience as a developer and a developer of uh, a game that is very, very reliant on developer-made content, right? A theme park game is almost completely reliant on theme park content. So in this case, WoW and Blizzard need their developer content to do well. That's why we can judge the game harshly based on an expansion. Is because they need their their content has to be good, right? Otherwise, they they risk losing a lot of their subscribers. So there's a lot on the line with their content. They put a lot of money, money that we've frankly never seen in the market in regards to develop made or developer made content. I personally, and maybe this is a hot take for another time, I don't think developer made content is really sustainable, especially not as an MMO. I mean, you're always going to be racing against the clock to create more and more content. I think it's much better to give players tools to create their own sorts of content while also putting out content. So it's more of like sustainable business model, but I digress and we'll probably talk about that at some other time. But yeah, WoW's basically excuse me, been the only game that's been able to rely on a developer-made content like model, so to say, since basically its inception. I mean, yes, I, I will argue that WoW Classic is certainly more sandbox than current WoW is, but it was still not a sandbox at the end of the day. I, I know everyone remembers WoW Classic so fondly, but it was not a sandbox game, right? It's certainly a lot closer to that, especially because they adhered to certain lores and they didn't have flying mounts and and there wasn't the same loading screens everywhere. It was more of like an open, seamless world, etc. But yeah, anyway, what do we say at this point about Blizzard? I guess we'll see what's going to happen. Um, this reminds me of a criticism that I received uh, this week because I've received a lot of criticism, obviously, because <laughs> I chose to talk about WoW uh, at one of its more trying times. So I've certainly had the passionate legion of fans, uh, no pun intended, join my video and uh, levy some criticism at me. But one of the criticisms that I saw was along the lines of, well, Nerd Slayer, you just always talk about negative things. Or do you ever stop just bitching about things? Well, whenever I make a video detailing why I don't play something, it's not going to be a positive video. If I made a positive video, wouldn't I be playing the game, right? At that point, like it's like strange rhetoric to see. Other stuff that I've seen is people actually forgive and and protect blizzard guys stop making an argument for blizzard they don't care about you you're just one piece you're just one number right you're one number you're one sub fee to them you're not that important so i don't know why i'm getting people joining my videos or in conversations telling me things along the lines of well uh, they launched as a bad expansion, but you can't judge an expansion based on the way it launches because uh, they could fix it by mid and in um in game or or end of its cycle, and people will mention, look at this expansion, like a WOD, like this one was bad at first, and then it got better, and this one was bad at first. Like they love to pick and choose and show you when one was... Guys, when you spend 50 to 60 bucks on a game, on an expansion, and it's not what you expected it to be, you are already justified in feeling like you made a bad purchase. You are already justified in levying criticism against the developer or the company. Right, as the consumer, you have that right. <laughs> After they've forced you to pay money in some sort of way, there's been an exchange in currency, <clears throat> your time and money for their game and their content, and you don't think it's up to snuff. You're already justified in your criticisms against the product. 
but more so justified when when they launch the game not only do not only is the game missing many features uh, i shouldn't say many i should say it's missing a couple key features the features that it is including it's messed up or half baked to some extent class balance is probably the worst that it's been in some time uh from my perspective but that could just be based on the classes that i play uh but also you have developers coming out after the fact and basically being like well, Battle for Azeroth is a, an expansion uh, in progress. <laughs> and you're just like, wait a minute. You mean an early? this is an early access expansion? This is the beta for Azeroth, as the meme says? Yeah, it's, it's a mess. But I've talked way too much about WoW today. I've already made a video on this. And uh, frankly speaking, um, I think uh, this is a conversation I'll save for another time. Maybe I can get Asmongold on the podcast. Everybody at Asmongold and tell him go on Nerd Slayer's podcast about and talk about WoW. <laughs> I should use you guys to start getting me guests. I've not been leveraging you guys correctly. I've reached out to a couple of people, by the way, and I have certain people that are very interested in doing interviews. Um, many of them for the podcast, unfortunately, can't do it on Monday, so we'd have to do it on like a Sunday, which I don't know if you guys are, you know, mad or sad or get annoyed if I have to change the time. Usually as a podcast, it's not good to change the time in which you do a podcast. But it's not exactly like I can do another podcast unless I were to do one podcast where it's just done this way and then another one. Anyway, you get my point. But I've already reached out to some big wigs and I've gotten some good responses back. But I should start to leverage you guys more as my audience. You guys are the foot soldiers, so to say. You're the you're the bishops. You're the rooks. You're the uh, knights. Um, you're the... I guess, am I the king or the queen in this scenario? I, I never realized which one I would be. If I'm the king, I guess that means that I, I could get check or checkmated. So maybe I'd rather be the queen. But then again, the game ends whenever the, queen, the king dies. So it's kind of like, seems more important than the queen, even though the queen has always been more powerful. Anyway. The next segment that I wanted to talk about, or next section of the MMOs on the go uh, segment, I should say, that I wanted to talk about was an interesting premise I saw brought up by uh, Massively OP. And the premise is, I'll pull it up on screen for full effect. The premise is, has an MMO ever been ruined for you by the community? And this is something that I actually wanted to open up a discussion on. I'm curious about you guys uh, and also thinking with, you know, based on my prior experiences, have you guys ever experienced an MMO that has been ruined for you by the community? Are there any big examples of this for you? Uh, obviously, community is probably one of the most important things about an MMO, right? I mean, maybe kids these days will probably not even think that because MMOs these days don't even run that way anymore. They don't even run in regards to being some sort of like multiplayer title or, or it's supposedly being a evolved form of a tabletop game. It plays more like a de-evolved form, but I digress. Uh, Eve, I've seen someone say Eve. I've seen someone say Tara. Is Tom the editor of the Queen? That's a good point. I only get triggered when Bill Burr does his Monday morning podcast on other days other than Monday. <laughs> That's a good point. I typically listen after our podcast is over, so it doesn't matter to me. Fair enough. Star Wars Galaxy. Yeah, I can see that too. It's interesting. I. I, th these are some good points. Um, I think that community interaction basically can make an MMO. And that's why I find Eve to be just basically a perfect storm of a lot of stuff. And anybody who really just has just followed MMOs historically can kind of look at Eve and just be enamored by it. 
even if they're not interested in PvP or even interested in the game in itself. But Eve has always been interesting to me just as a story because it's kind of come from really grassroots, uh, more so than just about any other MMO that we've seen. It's come from a grassroots start to being, you know, a big player in the market as much as a, a niche game can be a big player in the market. But uh, people talk about community. Obviously, uh, Eve has the goon swarm. Uh, you've got the goons. Uh, the goons are in Eve. That's already a big negative. Uh, you have these big Chinese corporations, apparently, that are taking over entire swaths of space and whatever else. And I try and recollect, like, personally, if I've ever had a game ruined uh, by the community. Funny enough, I would actually say Guild Wars 2 to some extent for me. The Guild Wars 2 uh, competitive scene was very toxic. And it was like, it was toxic, but it was very fanboyish in, in the sense that they would kind of ignore any, crit any criticism against the game and kind of like would kumbaya hold hands around the fire together and pretend that everything wasn't up in flames. And I'm talking specifically about the uh, structured PvP scene in that game. Uh, maybe to some extent, a smaller extent, the world PvP. But <laughs> I certainly think that that... Uh, that was probably my worst experience, which I know is weird for some because everyone sees Guild Wars 2 as like the paragon of community or whatever else or said that there's never been any negativity there or whatever else. But yeah, does anybody else have anything off the top of their head? Maybe just something to, to chew on a little bit. Maybe you guys can think about it and let me know later on. The last bit of the MMOs on the Go segment is going to be uh, a little article about uh, Shroud of the Avatar. So I, this one kind of piqued my interest because I... I find little juicy, kind of mysterious moves like this to be in really interesting. So Shroud of the Avatars, uh, Richard Garriott, obviously the CEO, previously CEO, or is he the CEO? Well, apparently the article explains that um, he's shed the CEO title and instead is considered the creative director, which is basically the PC way or uh, game development equivalent of saying like, I don't actually handle systems, okay? I just say what the creative vision is. So you can never really criticize the vision, right? Because the vision is always like the ultimate nostalgia. It's, it's the idea of the game at its peak capacity, right? That's the vision. This is the vision for what the game could be. This is the vision for what, what uh, <laughs> Shroud of the Avatar is going to be, says Richard Garriott as he ignores any criticism or, or kind of shirks away from the... Uh, uh, hate and distaste from his audience. They have a loyal fan base to some extent, but let's be honest, Shroud of the Avatar, as uh, our resident Shroud of the Avatar pundit, Darkoff has constantly made uh, apparent, is that uh, we clearly, we clearly are, um, we're not getting the type of experience that we thought we were going to get with Shroud of the Avatar, right? When Richard Garrett came out and announced this project, we thought spiritual successor to Ultima, we thought, man, this could really like push things forward in a way by getting back to our roots to some extent. What we got was a whole lot of weird monetary things, pay-to-win features, people buying keeps and power-ups and such. Uh, the game getting, I think, I think it's also adopted by some other shady um, business partner as well recently. Weren't they the one that got caught up with uh, some other monetization company? I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't, I don't really like to say things that I can't remember, so I'll just ignore that part. But point being is, um, <laughs> as he explains in the article, when, when somebody questioned him, basically why uh, we no longer saw him as the CEO on the company's website, 
He said that we've adjusted our direction and team to focus on episode two. We have decided to eliminate any titles and positions with the word officer, including my own, which was CEO. This leads me to focus on my true role as creative director. True role is the key word here, boys. True role. Look, he could be telling the truth, but I've spoken to Richard Garriott. I really respect the guy, but he's a smooth talker, okay? If we were playing a tabletop game, if we were playing Shadow the Avatar, uh, Richard Garriott would have max charisma would have max persuasion checks and would constantly be able to convince other people uh, through forms of uh, uh, trickery and intimidation to fight their companions or possibly not fight if they're henchmen and just convince them that you don't want to mess with me, right, for the for the tabletop and the RPG fans out there. That's Richard Garriott's character. He's basically the character with max charisma that you never want to get into a conversation war against uh, where you have to persuade him of anything because he's likely going to win. But jokes aside, it's just interesting and it's speculation at the end of the day. I'm not going to make the claim that Richard Garriott is trying to remove himself from getting any criticism about Shadow of the Avatar. Um, I don't want to say that he's that kind of person, but it's not completely out of the question, right? We can't just assume the best of people and assume the best of developers. At the end of the day, they are human and humans don't like to be told when they are wrong or aren't doing something particularly well. So... That's all for my uh, MMOs and the Go segment this week. We don't have a From the Vault segment, so I will go into my soapbox. Yes, a.k.a. Lord British, as somebody in chat says. The man behind Ultima. One of the men. Raph Coster was behind it, too, and he's he's pretty much up there in, in the realm of uh, MMO legends. I'm trying to look for my... There it is. I was trying to look for my graphic. Okay, as my voice is slowly starting to die out, we are going to begin my soapbox section. This is a segment that I get up on my soapbox, and I talk about just about anything. Sometimes we put our topics for MMOs here. Sometimes I'll start to branch out a little bit more into things that maybe aren't completely related to gaming. One thing that I forgot to mention to you guys is if you are interested in asking me any questions for the end segment, the call-in segment, or you want to react on any of the stuff that I've said so far, you can go to Discord, you can join the podcast lobby channel, you can talk to Card, you can talk to Tomb, uh, Doom Black Dragon concerning uh, asking me a question or if you have any responses or or bits that you wanted to add. Uh, it, don't worry, it doesn't have to be on topic. You can save the off-topic questions for at the end of the podcast, the call-in segment where you can give me your hot takes, your questions, AMA. You can ask me any sort of question. Feel free to join the podcast lobby channel on my Discord if you don't already know about my Discord join that that's usually where the majority of my updates are going to be concerning the future of the channel um but uh also if you want to ask me questions you can use twitch so you can at me on twitch uh of course you know at nerdslayer with three r's and uh my moderators will save those comments uh hopefully and then we'll relay those at the end of the podcast for the call-in segment i always forget to mention that to you guys but uh yeah just i want to get you guys involved more i want you guys to tell me what you think I don't want to just sit up here and talk by myself, especially if I don't have a guest, because I know some people are like, well, you're just kind of doing a podcast on your own. And at the end of the day, I am, and I'm okay with that. But I also want to involve you guys, the audience, which actually, this is an unplanned soapbox topic, but this is how I do things on on, on the Six Pixels Under podcast. Uh, but um, this is a good segue, I think. <clears throat> it makes me think about, in, in regards to the way that we... Hold on a moment. That bit was not in my contract. <laughs> good, good point, uh, card. 
Sorry, I, I derailed myself. It's it's not yet. Plus 10 to persuasion checks. <laughs> Somebody in chat said, uh, Staximus, I see you. What's up, Staxis? Or Staximus. Uh, iCrafter2015 asked, Hi, any info on Fallout 76 beta yet? Um, there's a lot of info. It's all over the place. Uh, Easy Allies has done a big play of it. Uh, IGN has done a couple. Even some, you know, kind of more solo outlets like uh, YouTube channels have done reactions. I... Earlier in the podcast, if you mentioned, I did a reaction to the VAT system. I also did a reaction to some of the basic uh, tenants. I didn't want to talk too much about Fallout 76 today um, because if I do want to talk about Fallout 76, I want to bring in a Fallout guy. I want to bring in somebody who knows about Fallout far more than I do because I'm not the Fallout guy. I'm not the guy who knows the Fallout lore and Fallout premise and and knows the vision of all of the games. That person's more of like Indigo Gaming uh, whenever I interview him, him at some point, which will happen on the podcast. We'll ask him about TES and the new Elder Scrolls and what his opinion is on Elder Scrolls Online and Fallout and Fallout 76, etc. Uh, I for- kind of forgot where I was going earlier, <laughs> which sucks. To- oh, I remember now. So the topic that I wanted to segue into is um, in regards to the way that we consume content, right? Or I guess people uh, consume content. A content creator goes through a cycle in their lifespan, right? First, when a content creator, uh, I guess, is created, if you want to say that, or starts making content for the first time, the first thing that content creator is just trying to do is really just express themselves, right? Generally, most content creators, most YouTubers, most Twitch streamers don't get into this for the money, right? It's not really, <laughs> it's not really reliant and or reliable enough to be about the money. <clears throat> so we get in because we want to tell a story, right? In my case, that's what it was. I wanted to tell a story. I wanted to tell a story that I didn't believe was really being told or wasn't being told well. But what inevitably happens as you get, uh, as you garner more popularity, as you get more popular, as you get more, uh, I guess, people start to see you more as a public figure. You you get to be a little bit more of a um, what I would describe as a. Uh, I don't want to not, not a pioneer in the field. Uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Somebody who's I guess quite established. I, I guess I would say I don't want to say an expert because expert. the expert master those words are kind of strange to some extent but you guys get my point right once you get once you get uh better at your craft right in content creation you start to attract a lot more people and what that means is that i no longer can have the same kind of conversations with my audience that i used to have right and what i mean by that is that as the amount of people that i'm talking to increases my ability to talk decreases obviously right I, can, I can't talk to 100 people in the same way that I can talk to 10 people. I can't talk to 1,000 people in the same way that I can talk to 100 people, etc., etc., and it keeps going. Well, I bring this up to show that, in my case, this obviously has happened as well. We're getting very close to 100,000 subs, right? Thanks, everybody, for that, and thanks for the future people who are going to be subbing right at this moment. Um, thank you for that that support we're very close to 100k and maybe i'll do a my story or or something cool at 100k i'm not 100 percent sure yet but point being we're almost up to i think 9 million views overall so we've got a lot of people uh that have watched our videos or have heard of us or have a sub to us almost 100k people right that's like six figures territory uh, not money wise uh i mean i'm in population of subscribers we're not there yet okay we're not anywhere close to there yet but uh, maybe we'll get there if that's what we need to grow the channel uh, and grow my uh, wallet. 
I'm just kidding. But point being, <laughs> I'm, I'm not making my point fast enough. But uh, my point is, is that it's harder for me to talk to you guys as things get more popular, as things get just grander in scale, right? And this is a topic that I really wanted to bring up because I find that it's very easy for a content creator to avoid uh, talking with their audience, right? It's not even malicious in some cases. I know some of you think, oh, when he doesn't respond to my comment or respond to my message, it's because he hates me. Most of the time, it's just because I don't see it or I forget, right? Like, and that's the case of most content creators. But after a while, when you get a thousand or two thousand or a hundred thousand comments or 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 questions or whatever else, it's very hard to respond to all of them. And what I see a lot of YouTubers fall into the kind of habit of or trap of is as they get more and more popular, they start to insulate themselves. Instead of opening themselves more, right, and taking up on the role of that public figure, which is a very scary thing to do, right? Because your career can be ended by the things you say. You could be blackballed from working on Twitch. You could be banned from YouTube. Like all of these different things. It's a very, <laughs> a public figure uh, entertainer is, it's a risky venture, right? Because one one wrong word and you can really end your career to some extent. But I notice that a lot of content creators will insulate themselves and they, 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 they cut themselves off from their audience. And, and the problems with that is that they, they lose the pulse of their audience, right? Of their community. You see this with Blizzard and, and, and WoW most recently. They lose that pulse, right? They don't know what the pulse is. They don't know what the general opinion is. They don't know what the, the lowdown on the streets is, right? They don't know any of that. And so it becomes harder and harder to talk with your audience and to share with your audience, especially when as you get more and more people watching, you get more idiots, right? That's just, that's just statistics, right? If we're going to talk about average intelligence, which is going to be like greater than 50%, right? Uh, like 51, the top 51% are going to be the, the, the more, you know, on average, the smarter people, right? Obviously, then we have top 20, top 10, whatever percentage you are with your big brains in chat. Or big brains on YouTube or wherever you're watching this video, uh, it, it's going to get to the point to where it's harder to relate, right? It's it's going to be really hard to relate to a bunch of um, new age comments that are either completely ignorant as to what my channel is or what 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 my videos are. And what I find, uh, just I'm going through this myself personally, where it, as you guys have noticed with the podcast, I make it a point to really try and listen. Try and ask questions, get involved with my community. I have my Discord. I play with my uh, subs and, and people in my Discord all the time. I, I let my moderators run the ship in regard to my Discord so I don't make things like too like tyrannical to some extent. Um, I have discussions on my community uh, or my community tab on my YouTube channel. People send me messages all the time. If you ever want to send me a message, I will always respond to you in some way, shape, or form. Uh, emails, all of the, I get so many messages, and I love it. I love interacting with my audience, even the the bad parts, right? Even the annoying people, even the people who keep saying that meme where they say the game has been murdered, right? Even that meme, I, I respond with a resident sleeper. I think it's a poor meme, right? Because I did this series. I did the Death of a Game series before Clean Prince Gaming did his It Was Murdered series, not to mention... Uh, from a from a design perspective or a theme perspective, our videos are completely different videos, right? Mine is 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 made in a certain way with care and 
and research and everything is backed up by something in some way, shape, or form as much as I possibly can, right, to the limits of my ability. But it's hard, right? And I will always, I guarantee with you guys, I will always try and be as close to you guys as I possibly can, as acceptable, uh, sorry, um, as accessible as I possibly can. I will, I, will, I will promise that to you guys. I will always try and be as accessible as I possibly can. And that's an important thing for me because if I get trapped in the echo chamber, right, and I'm only listening to the people on my Discord or only listening to the people who support my content or like my content or always like my content, right, I'm in an echo chamber. My criticisms are going to get worse. My work is going to get worse. I might not be as objective as I need to be in, in, in a certain case or whatever else. I'm going to be more... Well, that's another topic to get into. <laughs> that is another topic to get into. But point being, I promise to you guys, I will always try and listen as much as I possibly can. I will try and respond to you guys. I read basically all of my comments, which most people don't believe. But you can ask my girlfriend. I sit there on my phone and I go through every damn comment and I read them all, okay? Even the bad. And I know that's not advisable. Many people, including YouTubers who are three times my size, usually tell me, Nerd Slayer, why are you reading comments still? Why do you even read the comments past the first hour of your video? Why do you even read the comments past the first two weeks of your video, right? I get asked that all the time. And yes, I know YouTube comments are troll. YouTube comments are terrible. When somebody disagrees with you, they'll never take the time to actually say why. For example, my favorite YouTube comment is, you're completely wrong. On, on what, what, what part? Like everything, like not, uh, like a hundred percent or ninety nine percent of the video is wrong, or ten percent, or five percent, or one percent. What, what part is wrong, right? And, and that can drive you nuts, right? When you spend forty, fifty hours on something, and the comment that somebody hits you with is "checkmate, atheist," you're wrong. And you're just like, thanks, man. Thanks for that analysis. You should make YouTube videos. <laughs> you should make YouTube videos with that level of analysis. You guys get what I'm saying, though. I'm going to try my best to, to not insulate myself from you guys. I know sometimes I can get annoyed, and I, ha I certainly have my limits, as you can see on YouTube. I respond to people quite frequently, more than most people should. <laughs> uh, the podcast did not just start Zula. Uh, it's been going now for an hour and 21 minutes. Sorry, I don't have my bot set up to talk about uptime. I need to set that up at some point, or I'm sure Ludens can figure it out because he usually figures out everything. Did we have a reaction that somebody wanted to, to make? Uh, was that Card and Doom? Was that Did Ulysses want to ask me a question now or respond to something now before I move into my next uh, soapbox topic, which is also extra juicy? Today, we're we're just getting into the shits, okay? As, as the hip-hop community would say, we're just, we're getting in the shits today, all right? We're going to talk some shit. We're going to say what we do. We're going we're gonna to be a little bit confident today, right? Because we, we hold ourselves to a certain standard, right? I'm waiting for them to, to talk to me. Talk to me, boys. Is Ulysses able or ready to come in now? I, I wasn't sure. Uh, I'll just keep going if if not. 
I don't know what my delay is at the moment. I don't know when you guys are hearing me or if you are hearing me. Just go ahead and drag him in whenever and I'll... Oh, there it goes. Hello. Hey, uh, Ulysses, right? Right. Welcome. What did you want to talk about? Um, so you were talking about World of Warcraft, and I have kind of a long-winded opinion about why the the expand why over the years the expansions are beginning worse and worse. I think we kind of recaptured what made World of Warcraft good in Legion, and then we com they completely lost it in this expansion. And that's the content and achieving things being meaningful in the game, right? So like. In vanilla and and uh, in vanilla and Burning Crusade, when you killed a boss, you know you had this feeling of like how many people have actually killed this boss. And when you got a certain piece of gear, like a certain sword or a certain piece of armor, you know how many people are running around with a certain piece piece of armor or piece of gear. So it was like really, it felt more meaningful uh, because it was both challenging and there was like a progression. You had to go through certain raids to get to to further raids, right? Yeah. Uh, in Legion, we kind of had that where, like, there were certain bosses like Mythic Kill Jaden that were just ridiculously difficult, and I never beat it. But I knew some of my friends had in a Mythic raiding guild, and that was really cool that there were bosses out there that you know no one, not a lot of people had beat. And there was gear out there, like there were legendary items, and there were certain you know high rolled trinkets that were just crazy powerful, and it made it more meaningful when you got that stuff or when you saw somebody with it. And now I don't feel like this expansion has that at all in any way. Okay. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I, I think the point that I would uh, raise or, or what comes to mind when I hear that is um, it's kind of like a, in a weird way, constant progression has kind of gone from being like, if you're really good, you can do this. And if you're just pretty good, you can do this to being everybody gets a participation trophy. <laughs> it's It's kind of where it's like, Everyone can do this, therefore it's no longer special. Or if we can if we can make the class this accessible, for example, with regards to how they've changed certain class design, then we'll always be able to make sure that this is the easy class so we always have a class that somebody else could play. It, it, point being is it seems like Blizzard is moving their game model to be too all-inclusive, like to, to allow for everybody to do everything and have every option ends up being everybody is the same everybody you know has the same options it's, therefore there's no variety no diversity and no differentiation between levels of content whether difficult or not right it's less meaningful but i don't actually think that like necessarily that the content itself being challenging necessarily makes it is the only way to make meaningful content if you understand like for example one of the people my friend group did uh, the one of the world bosses in Legion, and he got a super high rolled uh, Arcana Crystal. And if you don't know what that is, it's a it was like the best trinket in the game, but it came off of a world boss, and it wasn't guaranteed to roll up to a level that was very good. So now he was the person, you know, in our friend group or people that knew him that was like, oh, that's the guy that had the really crazy Arcana Crystal. And you know, ultimately that was like a you know a five percent DPS increase. But it made it so much more meaningful getting that piece of gear. And I feel like challenge is definitely one avenue to, to get at making content more meaningful to achieve and, and to progress through. But I also feel like just uniqueness is a way to do that. And I also kind of feel like 
in the same way that when you play survival games and you you build something and you know that you know as long as someone doesn't destroy that 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 object has permanence in the world and that that progress is kind of locked in that that same feeling of you know that it's meaningful that it's 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 something that uh it's a feature in the game that i, I don't know how to really describe it but it's basically no, I, I know what you're saying meaningful. like per, i thought permanence was a good way to say it because um i mean i really don't want to get too much into it this podcast because <laughs> I, I at some point i want to make a video that talks about this but i think that in many ways you'll find that it's the it's the it's when MMOs that you know first started, obviously everyone knows the story. You had tabletop games, then you had MUDs, which are text-based games, uh, online games, and then you had MMOs, and of course the free first three D games uh, like EverQuest, and then obviously EverQuest led to WoW and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Now we have all of these different games and and such. But what I find uh, strange is that the core concept of of an MMO is based on a tabletop game, right? So that that means that it's based mm-hmm. on player interactions. Uh, it's based on lore. It's based on like what you know, obviously whatever the rule set is, the premise. But it's based on interacting with each other and doing activities with each other and having fun and creating stories. And, and obviously existing in a world that is you know quote unquote like the world that you exist in as you play your elf character or whatever else. In the case of uh, World of Warcraft, you're a night elf or whatever. You're part of like that world and you really are like you feel like you're part of the night elf world, especially if you think about classic WoW. Now what I mean is that. What what the games have they started that way, right? It started as being like, well, this is informed or has been uh evolved from a form of tabletop game. But it went from being that to almost like it forgot what it was started on or how it was started in the first place. Because games and, and specifically MMOs and WoW, in my opinion, is one of the biggest culprits of this. In fact, it's probably the the biggest culprit in regards to like pro- proliferation. But it it's kind of gotten rid of the whole tabletop aspect, the aspect of actually feeling like you're a part of something specific and unique in a world in itself. Like I think Warcraft has great lore. I think we can probably say its concept art is probably one of the best I've personally seen. I think it has great concept lore. I think it has good lore in general. Uh, concept art, sorry. Great cinematics. It does a good job of telling stories or showing uh, you things and making it look epic and cool. But it does a really poor job of existing as a world, an actual world. And what I mean by that is that it has its rules. It has NPCs that have tasks, right? It has uh, factions that don't like each other. It's existing more so than... It's almost like if you and I, right now, we're living in the real world. If we're if we imagine that we're playing in a video game right now, the the world around us is the world in which we exist in. And in regards to MMOs, that world, so to say, has been so, I guess, it's deteriorated so much that I think that's why we we, we have a lack of permanence, as you mentioned. We have a lack of, because um, I agree with you. I don't think that adding just adding challenge is the only way to make someone feel accomplished. There's a lot of other things that you can do. It, it's not just about hard modes, adding hard modes to the game. It's other things. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have tons of experiences where I knew guys that had really unique items in games, and it wasn't necessarily like it was hard to do it. It's just that they put a lot of effort into it, right? So it was more like they they grinded this one thing for a certain amount of time over and over again and became, you know, very good uh, at doing whatever activity it is they doing and uh, they were doing until they got the item that they wanted. It wasn't as much like oh, I beat the super mythic ultra boss and I got this, you know, rare piece of gear. Back then it was like, 
well, you you took the time, you know, if I'm going to use Star Wars Galaxies as an example, you took the time to reverse engineer a piece of gear over and over and over again to get the right kind of attachment. That was like a challenge. Like nobody wanted to do that because it was so annoying and kind of like a, a monotonous process. But I, I, uh, I, uh, I, w- I go on a little bit and I'm a little bit off topic. But I think at the end of the day, this is something that I'll discuss more in a video, I'm sure. But I think the virtual world of WoW, it's just, uh, it's not really there anymore. And I think Legion circumvents that because I think it, it did really good. Uh, well, whenever you have really good developer-made content, it can kind of circumvent the world to some extent. I think that's how WoW has managed to exist past a certain point. But anytime WoW tries open content, it usually doesn't do a good job of it. Uh, and I don't mean like mm-hmm. they don't do a good job of doing it. I mean that it typically doesn't have the same impact that we all thought it would. And I think that's what BFA has suffered in a lot of cases is like we all love the new zones, but it's like, okay, now what? <laughs> what else is there besides the leveling experience and the zones and the cinematics and whatever else? It's, it feels oh. shallow, I guess. I, I definitely agree. I think that the world in World of Warcraft is kind of missing in this expansion because of how there isn't a very wide variety in things really to do in the game that are all that fun. I mean, uh, if you look back at times when the game was really popular, you look back at uh, Vanilla, Burning Crusade, even Wrath of the Lich King and Legion, uh, there was a, a wider variety of, of things to do, not just to progress your character, but just fun things to do. Like in Legion, uh, exploring and doing the quest line in the, uh, the, uh, the elf area that was in the center of the continent, the Nightborn area. Um, there was professions were actually, I think, better in the land expansion than they were in this expansion. There were other things that you could grind. You could grind to get, you know, a hidden artifact skin. You could grind to get, you know, certain materials. I think materials were much more valuable in, in Legion. Um, and I think that that's part of the reason why the world in World of Warcraft is missing. I think the storytelling has, they've never made a better effort at storytelling in any previous expansion, in my opinion. Uh, than the current one but it doesn't matter much because unless you are really into rating or doing mythic plus those are the only things that are really fun right now that progress your character um yeah i, I just don't i think there needs to be a wider variety of of things to do in the game right. that provide meaningful content for people at all levels yeah i agree and and i think it's a it's a systemic problem i just think that kind of like asmund gold put it we're just more recently seeing, I guess, the fruits of that labor or the, or the, uh, the, what's the, what's the saying? The, <laughs> I'm trying to remember that saying. Is it the, the chickens have come home to roost, uh, so to say? Yeah. Because I, I think that they have learned all the wrong lessons from, from the past. I know that people say that, well, every expansion is a, a retort to the criticisms of the last one. Well, I think that they've just, I think Blizzard as a company has done a really bad job about learning the right lessons from their successes and from their failures. Um, if I were, if you, if you sat me down and said, okay, you're the lead developer of World of Warcraft now, I think that that would be my top priority is putting the world of, in back in World of Warcraft. And I think that uh, as a trendsetter, World of Warcraft has also done a bad job of showing other, other people who want to make MMOs or had made MMOs that. You know, they, they took the World of Warcraft's bad habits, so to speak. Uh, and I think that uh, Asian MMOs actually do a better job of making a world for their MMO in, in that there is a lot more 
Like in BDO, there's no there's no geographical area of the game that becomes outmoded by level because you can build, you know, little fortresses for your guild and control territory. It's all relevant areas of the game, right? But in World of Warcraft, once you outlevel a certain area, it's it's you you basically doesn't exist. You know, the only thing that exists to a max level character in World of Warcraft is the new zones that came out with that expansion. And I think that that's a mistake. I think that they should have spread the world quests out all over the entire World of Warcraft. I think that the the items that drop from old old uh, old mob monsters out in the world should still be relevant. I think you should still have to go farm, you know, yeah, salt agree. from the elementals in you know uh, Arathi Highland. Well, see uh, now now the cogs are turning. Now you're figuring. You see how like it didn't take you that long. You just put a little bit of thought, and you were like, "Huh, I'm figuring out a way to make the world actually useful." And it's like, that's the thing is that it doesn't take a whole lot of thought. <clears throat> if you and I just sit here and just like spitball a couple of ideas, we just came up with one right there. Maybe make it to where you only get one sort of resource from one cer- certain type of mob, which always makes that mob relevant in some way, or one type of resource that's in one sort of area. Like there's a lot of things that they can add to the game that can make it to where you need to be in a certain area. You need to actually be out in the world experiencing it. Another easy one for me is kind of like the way cities work, right? Unfortunately, now it's basically two cities, right? Stormwind and Orgrimmar. And what if we could add different things that are relevant to these other cities, right? But unfortunately, when we added portals to everything, we kind of killed all of that, right? Now it's just like, well, we're just going to sit in uh, Stormwind and just portal to everything or hit our LFG and we don't have to move, period. You could just join everything, you know, right there in the lobby without having to worry about any of that. When it's like, that's not what we want. If we want an MMO to grow as a virtual world, we want we want the other cities to be useful again. And I think that it's it's possible to do that. It's just strange that we haven't really seen a game, at least off the top of my head, uh, that does a good job of making old cities actually useful as well. Because that's a lot of wasted assets and time. I mean, I understand why developers don't want to create a bunch of starting zones or why they don't want to create a bunch of leveling experiences or why they don't want to create more cities. It's because, well, it takes resources and are they even going to get their bang of the, uh, bang of the, uh, the I guess, bang for the buck out of that uh, whole thing or ordeal? Probably not. But they can learn how to do it in a better way <laughs> and maybe they will get that. Right. Right. I think that that's part of the problem is like what you were saying earlier about how they're insulating themselves and only listening to the numbers. But the problem with the numbers is that that data is pulled from what the current player base is doing. And the only thing the current player base is enjoying is the raids in the Mythic Plus. So, of course, they're going to think, oh, we need to do more raids in Mythic Plus. But I don't think that that's that's good at all because they're completely ignoring all of the other players that have dropped out of the game or only play a little bit and could play a lot more, or doing other things that could be playing their game if they had other avenues of enjoyment for it. Um, I think that's the biggest problem with, you know, designing by uh, test group, you know, but designing by data, is you've got to pay attention to what kind of data you're pulling from. And I think that they're missing the forest for the trees. Right. They're not seeing the bigger picture. Yeah, it's also like uh, you lose the essence, if I had to use that kind of weird word in this case. It's like you lose the essence of what your game is when you rely more on the the statistics surrounding the game uh, versus actual testimony. And I know it sounds strange because scientifically speaking, it's like (laughs) testimony can be misleading, right? We all know that. Like people can say different things and you don't always want to listen to word of mouth. You do want to check statistics. You do want to look at the analytics or whatever else. But in the case of like 
keeping the same vision and and like I said, essence of the game, it's very important to not only play the game, <laughs> which is what many people are accusing WoW devs of not doing, <laughs> right? People are saying, do you guys even play the game at this point? Because you wouldn't think that certain changes are good changes if you actually play the game, is the criticism well, that I think people are levying against them a lot of the times. I actually disagree with that that part because from what I understand, the, the lead developers, they do play the game and they, they, they have played the game. But I think that with the leaving of Mike Morheim and uh, a lot of the old executives that started the game, you're now seeing a, a, a company that's run by people who were fans of the game several years ago. And the fans, if you're if you were a fan of, you know, the game five years ago, maybe you were a raider like, you know, Ian Hazakosis, maybe. And that's the only thing that you care about. So, of course, you're going to have a bias toward that's the kind of content that's the direction I should go with the game. I think that's the part part of the problem with fans being developers in the game is that their opinions are so strongly based on their past experiences with it. You know what I mean? Right. I I agree with that. I also I think that that's a good point in regards to like if you joined WoW during its heyday, that also means that you have a certain kind of perspective that might be a little bit clouded in some ways because mm-hmm. Like to to bring it back to the whole virtual world thing, if you didn't grow up during EverQuest or during the time when WoW was you know competing against EverQuest two and whatever else, you might not actually know the historical differences between the games, or maybe even what the vision of EverQuest was or what the original vision of WoW Classic was supposed to be based on the EverQuest vision. Excuse me, vision. You're you're not really going to have that context, so you're going to be coming in thinking, well, I'm just coming into this immensely popular game, which I very much enjoy. But you you might not actually know like the historical things, which I, I think it's important to know historical precedent, especially when your game is well based on a certain idea that's kind of been deteriorated in a lot of ways. But I realize mm-hmm. why at the end of the day, a lot of its ease of access and ease of access is kind of ruling right now. But I actually think that ease of access is a really slippery slope for MMOs. I don't think it's the the thing that we should really look to to monetize. I, you know, when I say we, I guess I mean developers should look to take advantage of or monetize because I, I find it as like fleeting. It's very fleeting. Uh, it, it, again, it relies on the whole content pipeline, and even WoW is is facing problems with that. Look at that. Everybody is echoing basically the same sentiments, and that's BFA seems rushed, right? I think we can all agree with that. It seems mm-hmm. rushed, especially... It's beta for Azeroth. Exactly. I mean, people, for example, the rhetoric that I've heard around Survival Hunter, which is what I played, was that it's good enough as a class. And it's like, <laughs> could you imagine launching an expansion where your class is like, it's good enough. It's like, no, like you, you should finish the class before. <laughs> like, it wasn't even finished in Legion either. And, and and survival hunter still isn't finished it still feels really weird and disjointed in a lot of ways well, it's good at pvp i don't know about pve but it's good but it still feels like it's just like they were like uh, uh melee hunter yeah okay and they just threw it on there were like let's go well yeah i actually so in my opinion as far as like easy easy getting into the game and like early on difficulty i actually i think i may disagree with you here i don't know but uh i think that it the ideal is that it should be easy to get started and difficult to master right i think that that's what i would say is the ideal and the, the reason is is because you look back at old mmos uh and you might you might like for example in in world of warcraft and vanilla i very clearly remember one of my friends being like i i leveled a warrior you know i spent you know six months leveling this warrior and i'm doing raiding now but i really wish i would have been 
a paladin because they can do all of these other things that I can't do. And it's good to be to be able to to jump in and see whether you and not and not feel like you sunk all this time into something that you ultimately wish you had done something else. That's one criticism I do have of older MMOs. Um, but it it means that you are endeared to it by that time. So you may have spent all that time on your warrior, and now even though you wish you would have played a paladin, you you're you're kind of locked into it, and you feel like, well, you know, I've kind of grown to appreciate the warrior. Um, I I think maybe there's a case for pros and cons here, but my personal preference would be, you know, easy to jump into but difficult to master. Yeah, I mean, I think I would agree, but I I would actually say that I think the reason why this is maybe typically a problem for some is that uh, MMOs, at least these days, they're not really designed as much with the gameplay in mind in early and mid game. Early and mid game, oh, agree. Typically, just serve as like a, uh, I don't know, I guess a temporary stage <laughs> of the game that lasts. The way I described it yesterday in chat was kind of like if early games ten percent. And mid games fifteen percent, or vice versa. In game is all or whatever else else is you know left at that point. It's basically ninety to eighty percent of the game, which I think creates that problem with uh, ease of access to some extent, oh. where it's just like, well, you're basically in WoW. Let's let's say you're a new player in WoW, which I know at this point is kind of not re- really going to be super popular, or like not super prevalent, I should say. Most people have already played the game to some extent or heard of it. But let's say you haven't and you're going in completely cold, like you don't know anything about the game. You get to max level probably relatively quickly. It's not a super hard grind, especially if you buy a pre-made character or whatever else. Or let's just say you buy a pre-made character because it comes with the expansion. Now you have this character that you basically have no idea how to play. And then you're like, all right, I want to do some content. And well, the only content you can do is the group content that you need to do or the daily quest, right? If you want to play with other players, you need to do the group content. Well, the group content, <laughs> that's why everyone is so bad in LFG and LFRs. Like, <laughs> the player base is never taught how to play, basically. And so I, yeah. I think, like, that's the problem is, like, yeah, it should be easy to, to play and hard to master, but uh, we're also making a, a critical mistake in regards to how developers teach people the game, which is that we're not creating good players, Unless you're going to get there on your own, and which not everyone is like that. Not everyone is a super tryhard. Not everyone's going to min-max. Not everyone's going to you know, put 10 hours into a raid or whatever else. Like some people just want to show up and, and kind of have some level of you know understanding of what they're doing. Uh, but in WoW, it's just like, man, it's such a deep pool at this point. I feel like it's, it, it could feel a little bit overwhelming. And maybe that's why to some extent that they decided to kind of make certain classes really simple. And and what I've noticed with the class design, I don't know if you noticed this as well, is it seems like it's almost more MOBA-like to me. Like every class has their like... Oh, it's very simplified. Ultimate. Yeah, every class has their ultimate. And it feels like a, it feels like Heroes of the Storm to some extent. It's like, okay, here's the warrior's ultimate. This is like your win condition. A survival hunter has this little spam ability. Like, it's like here's his ability. That's his win condition, his kill command combo. It's like... It just everything feels so formulaic, even in regards to the way the classes play. So I think that also affects it. But that's a little bit of a tangent. But yeah, I'm willing to admit that for some people that it's really bad when this happens. But one thing that Legion did well, in my opinion, for me, was that you picked a spec and you really had to develop that specialization. Like I played a Guardian Druid 
and I had to dump points into my artifact for just that spec, and I had to get gear just for that spec, which meant that uh, I was really good in that specific role, and that kind of felt unique. And and uh, I had developed, you know, a very good uh, character for that specific spec, and it made it feel made dif- differentiated myself from other druids right. that I ran into. Now, on the other hand, I'm willing to admit that that's really bad for certain players. Like, uh, I have a friend that did not play Legion almost at all because he was an alcoholic and just couldn't stand the idea of my warrior is locked into one spec and can only really get good at that one spec. And I understand that, but I feel like Legion, you know, for for having that complaint, it's way more popular than this expansion for certain and is way more popular than Warlords of Draenor. I think it had to have been more popular than Mists of Pandaria or Cataclysm. Like, it's probably the most, it was the most popular expansion since uh, Wrath of Lich King, I think. I, I would agree with that based on everything I've seen as well. All right, that's that's cool. I'm glad you came by and and we could talk a little bit more about WoW. I don't talk too much about WoW typically uh, because I find it to be this like giant minefield of a conversation with some people. <laughs> but oh, it can be because everybody <laughs> wants different things from from World of Warcraft. Yeah, like, and I'm willing to admit that, like I said earlier, if if I was the dev, I would focus on you know world building, but I probably wouldn't you know put as much time as I should into to rating. And that should, you know there should be people on the design team who focus on you know, all the aspects that the major populations in the game, you know, like. There's uh, one thing in particular, and that I've mentioned ad nauseum, and I'm sure I'll make a video directly addressing it, but, like, the biggest thing that I see problematic with WoW and what WoW created is that developer-made content being, like, the, the best, I guess, like, the best form or the most used form of content dispersal in, in MMOs, I think it's just inherently problematic because not only can't most companies keep up with their population, like, imagine, I mean, this is the problem with, like, 99% of MMOs that have failed, <laughs> as people will realize, especially someone like me who's taken the time to look at a lot of the patterns, is you'll you'll see that a lot of the games obviously fail within the first two months, right? Like they they drop like ninety mm-hmm. percent of their population, I think, after three months, or or eighty five percent, I think, was the the statistic that I saw uh, someone mention once. So like that that in itself already sounds like a an, you know incredibly high number. But those players who remains probably already beat all of the content. That's the scary thing. If your game is built around raids and and story modes and questing and and things that are basically a finite amount, aka developer made content, you can only play as much as developers make content for you. It's almost like you're just like you're always chasing the developer. You know, it's like a race. Like the developer is running away from his audience, like his rabid fans, like trying to constantly create more and more objectives and things for them to do. But they're they're going to struggle with it. And even yeah. like to me, the BFA expansion, what it proves to me is that even Blizzard can struggle with an expansion. Even Blizzard oh, yeah. can struggle with developer made content, which it basically pioneered and you know, does better than anybody else. And that tells me in itself, I don't think it's a totally sustainable business model for like the average MMO. I really don't. I think that giving the player more tools and more opportunities for emergent gameplay is probably, and and I shouldn't say probably because other people have made this, um, I guess, uh, discovery as well, like Raf Koster. I saw uh, Smedley made this assessment as well, where they basically said that developer made content, the finite content it doesn't have the same shelf life 
that uh, emergent gameplay does or or a, or a sandbox game can have. It's just that, you know, someone is going to have to take a risk, obviously, to get the market to that point. Or um, we're going to have to have, you know, some indie company come in and show everybody how it's done, probably. <laughs> um, I actually have a little bit of hope left for, for World of Warcraft. Largely, I, I would like to see them just do a new MMO, but I just don't think that that makes business sense for them if you're trying to make an argument to the executive team. Um, but I have a little bit of shred of hope left, and that's in the war mode system. And I know this is a really controversial topic for, for World of Warcraft players, particularly PvPers. But I actually think that there is a kernel of hope in that system because it isn't just, you know, turn on war mode and now you can do PvP. They do have uh, systems in place that that drive people towards conflict. And I don't think it's great right now. I think it needs a lot of work, especially for sustainability. But I think if they continue to develop that, even just a little bit going into the next expansion, I think it's a feature that could really make the, the world come back into World of Warcraft. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, early on in the expansion, when everyone was really going after those world quests, uh, there was a world quest popped up on like the second or third day of the expansion. It had a really good piece of gear. And so there was everybody trying to do it. And so you went there. I went there and I have war mode on all the time because that's the kind of player I am. Um, and I went there and there was a pitch battle going on over this world quest. I'm talking there was at least 50 people on each side going back and forth, wiping each other out, trying to get a tag on the mob, the, the boss mob. And I feel like if they added more longevity to the world system to get people out into the world, I feel like war mode could bring the world back into it. And I feel like that system could really shine and, and create player driven content. I just don't think it's there. And the reason I don't think it's there is number one, the the content to do out in the world isn't it isn't compelling to do over the length of the expansion. And number two, they really got to get their 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 back end, their system, their figured out. Like it's too laggy, it's too hard to get an organized group into the same phase. Uh, but if they fix those two things, if they make the content world content better, and they get the back end sorted out so that it's a smoother experience, it's easier to just jump into. Um, with friends, I feel like that could be a really great source of player-generated content. Yeah, I, I'm actually, I'm going to disagree slightly in the sense that I think that although I think, I, I think kind of in the same way that you think that war mode, in a way, kind of seems like a, a beacon of light, but I almost see it as like a uh, a fool's gold, if I could describe it that way, where I think that it's a, it's certainly a fix, and it's certainly a change that needed to happen or or is a positive change but currently as it's implemented it just feels like a band-aid feature where it's oh, like definitely it's not fully fleshed out and 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 my uh criticism or, or my view on why that that uh, that's the case is probably based around the fact that i just think that the container itself is a little bit flawed like they're they're really gonna have to i mean how are they going to divorce people away from lfg mindsets by introducing incentive in the world right to some extent but that's not going to be easy <laughs> when you can do all of that stuff or do the majority of the content in the game by not having to move around and not have to go to certain areas and do content like like you were describing and 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 engage in pvp especially if you don't want to it just seems like it's easier to just kind of still rely on the old school lfg i'm sitting in the city you know experiencing the game kind of mechanic i i, I personally think it's 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 going to be a very very hard process for blizzard to essentially like 
untrain people from that kind of uh, mentality? Um, while I agree with you that there is an established culture in the game that they're going to be hard, it's going to hard be justify, you know, trying to, to, to upset those players. But that's why I think that this goes back to what I was saying earlier about if you only like, you know, the rating in the Mythic Plus, you're happy and otherwise you're upset. There has to be content for every kind of player, at least a little bit in an MMO, I think. And I think that having a system which you can just sit in the city and, you know, queue into your content, that's fine. Um, as long as you also have content for the people that want to be out in the world and engaged with the world itself. I think that those aren't mutually exclusive. Um, and I think that they just need to do a better job of, of providing for both those sets of players. But I agree with you. Uh, and it's certainly easier to make content and cheaper and more cost effective to make content for those people that just want to sit in the city. And I think that's the biggest problem. I also think that uh, to split hairs a little bit in some ways, like I, I think that the reason why I say it's problematic is that because if you do allow for that other stuff, I think that it's always going to impact the other side of things. So it's like it's kind of like how people joke about, oh, how did flying mounts kill war PvP, lol. But it's like if you actually get into the nitty gritty of it, you kind of realize that it does kind of hamper things. <laughs> like when you allow someone the ability to traverse, you know, the Y axis and fly around and avoid things, it does introduce a lot of problems. But and and, and sh- slow changes like that over time, I think of what if you know. I guess are what have uh, hurt WoW in regards to its world. Like for example, the introduction of of LFG, the introduction of Cross Realm, the introduction of um, what what I just mentioned, flying mounts, the introduction of portals, uh, instant travel, uh, you know, different instances. Like these things on on their own might not seem that bad, but when you look when you look at them, I guess in totality uh, together, that's what kind of makes me, I guess. Uh, skeptical that they could kind of resurrect that open world uh feel or the or the world itself you you know the world of warcraft like that that really great world that i think most people enjoy of warcraft that i I, you know i played warcraft one and two like i'm one of the weird people who actually played those games apparently oh me too yeah and i and i love i grew up with this game right exactly same for me but it's just like it feels like it's almost like counterproductive to some extent. It's kind of like uh, arenas, right? Let's talk about arenas. Arenas and BGs. The reason why they became the de facto way to PvP was because they offered the great the greatest reward. So yes, to some extent that can be fixed, right? You can add more rewards back to open world PvP uh, honor uh, levels and whatever else like they're trying to do to some extent, which I'm sure they're not done yet uh, with. They're probably just introduced like a precursory like system or whatever else. In the meantime, and they'll probably flesh it out at some point. I, I just think that when when why run around for the chance of open world content uh, that's maybe incentivized, right? Generally, right now it's not entirely incentivized yet. That's kind of what we're like postulating. Maybe they could do that, but it just seems like my time is better served for me joining an arena or a BG or a rated BG, especially getting gear right now. I'm gonna do a rated BG <laughs> as a PvP player. And so, like, a lot of these issues combined together on their own, none of them are big enough to defeat open world PvP or PvP, nor the world uh, being, I guess, a good world. But all combined, I think, can certainly compact, uh, or I think compact's the word that I'm looking for, the issue. Uh, This might be a a double hot take here, uh, just because I agree with you that 
uh, flying has been horrible for the game. And and that specifically, that specific feature, I think is like a, a game chain, a game breaker, a deal breaker, I should say, for creating meaningful world content. Um, however, I don't think it's impossible to to create. I think it's maybe difficult, and it may be a hard sell if you're a game dev. But I don't think it's impossible to create, you know, a system whereby I can queue for my BGs and my arenas and my dungeons. But then, you know, maybe the world quests out in the world provide a uh, an equivalent reward in in so far as that, like for example, and this is this is the other hot take is that I actually like the rng nature of the the rolling system for gear and a lot of people don't oh god the reason i like that <laughs> i know uh, let me explain then you can you know tear me apart if you want um but uh the reason i like that is because it allows you to create world quests whereby like maybe the world quest has uh, the minimum item level i get for that piece is five item levels lower than what i would get if i did a dungeon but i have a chance to roll higher and i can complete five world quests in the time it takes me to do one dungeon so it's either equivalent or relatively equal to if I had just sat in the in the the city. Now that may not solve the problem of being like, well, you know, players are going to take the not necessarily the if they're equal, then players are going to take the easiest and laziest way to do it. I agree. There's a lot of people that are going to do that, but I think while it's difficult, I don't think it's it would be impossible to create uh, a system where both of those systems can can coexist. Now I do agree with you, however that certain things are deal breakers, like the flying and, and maybe the portals to a certain extent. I think that some portals are okay, but I definitely agree with the, the way portals are set up right now. Yeah, so I, th- I think that, I mean, it's it's kind of a hot take to some extent, but I think that when people talk about RNG, it's not like we're against RNG, period. I mean, most <laughs> RPGs are RNG, especially in regards to the way loot works. I think it's more so... When people think that RNG is on top of RNG, on top of RNG, they're just like, you're just doing this arbitrarily. When it becomes really complicated, uh, certainly. um, But as long as people clearly understand what the inputs and outputs are, like they understand that uh, if I do this world quest, I have a certain percentage chance for it to get to the eye level that I need. Like that's that can certainly be frustrating whenever it's like, well, well you know this item theoretically could roll up to a level that's useful to me but i don't know how much that is and it's in truth it's probably so minuscule that it's not worth doing um that's frustrating and i think that's bad design i think that much like gambling the 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 odds should be posted you know what i mean i feel like that would solve a lot of people's bad feelings towards rng just simply knowing what their odds are of getting what they want and the other thing and that would also keep you know, people more honest, keep the developers more honest, because if they, because right now they could set that chance of getting the the actual useful item really minuscule and no one would know the difference and people could still keep doing it, not knowing. Well, here's the even uh, scarier and they will thing. design better. The even scarier thing is that they could do that in regards to a loot box or an object. Oh, that you and they do. I'm the sure they do. And that's really why people get really kind of up in arms about the idea of loot boxes and and people taking advantage of, you know, the human nature to want to like push your luck and gamble on things. It's it's because of that exact reason. How do we know if they're not affecting the numbers? We don't know what the numbers are. Like you said, we don't know what the percentages are. So we have no clue. We're just like, we feel like we're getting a bad deal, <laughs> even if maybe we oh, are. Yeah, on many levels, it feels like a bad deal because you don't know, you know, how many times do I need to do this to 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 be effectively like 
putting in a solid effort. Like I, you know, if I know that if something has a 5% chance of happening and I want that thing to happen, you know, I need to do that thing, you know, so many times to, to get up to a reasonable chance of having gotten it that day. You know what I mean? Um, but if I don't know, then I'm in the dark and it feels bad. It feels like I shouldn't even do it. If there's a, a better chance to just go for the minimum somewhere else, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm in agreement. I, I've, I've, uh, talked too much about wow today, but I appreciate you coming on and asking questions. And I think we had some really good discussion. I'm sure the, the fans, uh, who maybe want me to talk more about wow are excited to hear more things. And I also think that you brought up some good points and it's, it's also nice to see, uh, a wow fan who seems to be more objective about things and you're not just like either jumping onto popular opinion automatically or you're not just like completely entrenched in the way things are and you don't want things to change so I, I appreciate that it seems like you actually care about like the longevity of the game and you want it to be the best game that it could be so you can enjoy it in the best way that you can well that's what everyone should want right and i appreciate that uh you you indulged me you let me rant uh you know live on air uh, so I had a good time. Yeah, no problem, man. I appreciate you coming by. Everybody in chat, thank uh, Ulysses for the wow discussion, please. I'll go ahead and move you back into the channel if you want to talk to those guys, because they'll probably talk to you some more about things. All right, no problem. Later. Thanks. All right, guys, we talked a lot about WoW today. I'm surprised by that. If, for people who know me personally, you know, like, wow, you never talk about World of Warcraft. Well, and a lot of, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I, I, I guess I should say at some point I want to do like two, ma two major videos on the game, right? There's just so much to talk about. It's, it's just, it's such a good game to talk about because there's so many lessons within it, right? And surrounding it, I should say. I haven't played WoW in years, but that was great to listen to. Thanks, man. Thanks, Goosey. I'm glad. I'm glad you like to listen to that because sometimes I, I feel like I'm encroaching on other territory when I talk about WoW. All right, so another soapbox topic that I wanted to talk about. I won't go totally into it. I was going to ask one of the questions this week as to what a virtual world is, but I think I'll wait until next week to talk about that one because uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit this week, but I'm also trying to figure out if I should put that in a video or something like that. But I'd love to have a couple guys on to talk about what a virtual world is and that sort of thing. I think that'd be funny. Maybe a panel at some point. I love the idea of having a panel, but again, you run into problems with um, timing and such. So it's like if I were to do one with other guys who are interested in MMOs, like Lazy Peon, uh, Fever, and uh, who are a couple other guys? Off the top of my head. Those are some big MMO guys. But there's other guys like XP Gamers that I would like to talk to at some point. Those are some guys that would be fun to talk about. Like on a panel of sorts. I'd love it, the idea of like a panel where we just all come from different backgrounds and opinions. And we just talk about MMOs. Um, but uh, obviously it'd be really cool to find other YouTubers who do that. So I could collaborate and also put my name out there. Put their name out there. But also kind of create more of... We, I was talking about this with uh, Super uh, Mugen yesterday, but I'd love the idea of being able to have a panel as like an MMO community where we just talk about what does an MMO constitute? Like the word MMO, like what is considered massive? How many players is that? Uh, <laughs> other things like when is a meta good? When is a meta bad? Is class... 
is class selection currently right now so limited because of our technology or, you know, there's so many other questions to ask for sure. All right, so one of the topics that I wanted to get to today on the soapbox up here is uh, how do I determine if a game is dying? And this is basically going to be explaining my death of a game series. Again, I've done this before in, in a small way. I won't go super heavy into it because I want to make a video on it at some point. But basically, how does Nerd Slayer determine if a game is dying, dead, or is going to be featured on my series, uh, Death of a Game? First, I think it's very important I describe what Death of a Game as a series. You still got an outstanding question? Oh, yeah, well, we can get to that at the end of the call-in segment. How do I determine if a game is dying or not, right? How do I come to this, I guess, conclusion? And it's, it's, I'll explain my reasoning from the very beginning, right? So there's a couple things that you have to take into consideration when you consider a failure, right? A failure is, is obviously going to take into consideration things like scale, right? At what scale are you failing? Uh, anticipation or expectation is a big part of failure, right? If you think that your product is going to sell a thousand and you sell one copy, that's a failure, right? Statistically speaking. But let's say, let's make it easier for math. If you think that you're going to sell a hundred copies and you sell 10%, well, it's like you sold 90% of what you thought you were going to sell. Uh, sorry, you, you sold 10% of what you thought you were going to sell. You didn't sell 90% of what you thought you were going to sell. So expectation is a big part. Big part. Uh, expectation goes hand in hand with hype and things like that. Obviously, there's financial concerns. How much money did you put into the game versus how much money you got out of the game, right? The ROI, the return on your investment. How much money did you make from it? Was it a successful venture, right? There's a lot of things that go into considering a multiplayer game as a failed or a dying game, right? As I've mentioned, as nauseum to everybody who knows me, <laughs> including Limpos and chat, is that uh, what I define as dead is not often literally dead, right? Like my series does not describe games that are only literally dead. And the simple reason for that is that it, in, it inherently limits the content that I can make but it also allows us to like pretend that the only way you can determine if a game is successful is if it's existing. And that's just not true. If a game is existing, it doesn't mean that it's successful, especially when you take into consideration all of those other concerns that I mentioned. Expectation, hype, how much money was put into the game? Is it getting the positive return on the investment? Is it living up to the artistic uh, vision or the artistic value behind the game? Right? There's a lot of things that go into that consideration. And as we know, the human, uh, the human language, right? We, we found ways to make things objective and things subjective. And now an example of this is that I am currently speaking English right now. That's an objective fact. But what if I told you I ain't speaking good English, right? That's an opinion, but I mean, you would probably say, yeah, it seems about right. You just kind of spoke in slang and in a weird Southern accent. Uh, but yes, like you would argue that it's not really the, like equivalent, right? It's not the same thing. Um, and, and, I th and I certainly think that when we talk about death, we have to be willing to talk about more than just literal death because there, there's a whole other process that goes up to it, right? When you look at a game that's dying or in the process of dying, you can 
see signs of this, right? There's patterns. There's things that you can observe. There's there's clues, right? Like, for example, someone might ask, how were you able to make a video on Wildstar right before it shut down, like a month or two before? How did you know? Obviously, I don't know, like, in some weird, like, omniscient sense or, some, or, sense or something. Like, I, I don't just know everything. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes and whatever else, just like anybody else would. But it's an educated guess, right? And how do I arrive at that guess? Well, that's basically how I create the Death of Games series. It's first you pose the question of, uh, what's a game that hasn't done well? What's a game that's dead? Obviously, the easiest games to do Death of Games on are games that are actually dead, right? Like, uh, and I mean in an official capacity, like Star Wars Galaxies, Warhammer Online. Uh, what's another good example? Those are probably the biggest examples I can think about right now that you can technically go play those games, but not in any official capacity. So they certainly would describe or be described as dead, right? Even literally dead uh, in, in some ways if you say that, well, the original implementation or iteration of the game is the literal death, right? But the Wildstar video would have never came to be if I only ever talked about literal death. And so how was I able to determine that I thought Wildstar was dying or about to die, right? And the, the simple answer is that, well, there's a lot of factors. <laughs> the long answer is a, a video for another time, but I'll, I'll give you guys this, that I first look at what the game set out to accomplish, right? It's vision, artistically. That's a very hard thing to quantify. So that's the first thing I start with, right? It's more so a abstract thing to think about. But then I also think about concerns such as how much money was put into the game. How much money did the game cost? How much money did the game make? How many sales did the game make? How many subscribers did the game have? How, how their financial situation looks, right? If the company goes free to play, why is that? Was it because they were not doing well in subscription-based games? If the game launched free to play, why is that? You take into all of these considerations and whatever business model they choose, you can weigh up sort of what their level of success is with such, right? This explains my uh, constant harping on the subscription numbers for uh, Star Wars The Old Republic. Is when people say the game didn't fail or isn't dead or isn't dying, it's like, well, when you lose 90-something percent or more of your population, well, far more at this point, 98% of your population in less than a year, I think we can chalk that up to being a failure, right? I think we can chalk that up to being a failure. Now, can we say commercially? I mean, they actually were able to make quite a lot of money off of their free-to-play version of the game, so maybe not. But other things you can pay attention to besides just financials and expectations is also in regards to the way the developers or publishers treat the game. And what I mean by that is that you're not going to be waxing poetic and, and constantly advertising a game that you think is shit, right? This is typically why when a game is not doing so well, the publisher isn't giving it a spotlight, which is strange, right? Because you think the publisher would utilize its platform to try and big up the game. But they almost seem like they're like, all right, developer, you're fucking up. We're just going to pretend that that's going on over there and we have nothing to do with that, right? Publishers don't really <laughs> want to associate with games that are failing because they're a publisher. They publish games. They don't want that negative stigma to be on them or whatever else. Uh, so you can kind of see the way that companies act in regards to their games. And an easy way to... Uh, I guess explain this as an example is when you look at Wildstar, right? One of the biggest points that I made in the Wildstar video that might have gone kind of unnoticed by people is that I said that Wildstar most recently 
was uh, relegated to the other revenue section of the financials, which basically means that it's not making enough money to be impressive to make your shareholders happy or your stock uh, people who want to buy stock or whatever else, right? It doesn't look sexy, so they they put it in the other section, so it still counts as revenue, but they're not going to tell you what the low uh, what the lowdown is, right? What the exact numbers are. It protects their image, right? It makes sense, right? Well, that's an easy way to determine whenever a developer is, or sorry, publisher in this case, is kind of looking to get out of the business of a game, right? When they no longer want to kind of talk about how much money the game's making in particular, that means that it's not doing well. And it's no surprise, I've showed you guys many times in my videos, different financials concerning NCSoft, and Wildstar was not doing well and was never doing well, especially relatively to uh, the other games in the stable of NCSoft, Guild Wars 2, Guild Wars 1, Lineage 2, Lineage 1, uh, Blade and Soul, and those are probably the biggest off the top of my head, I would say, in the stable of NCSoft, right? So these are all different ways that I determine if a game is dying or, or basically on its deathbed. Now, technically speaking, could the game continue to exist with a meager or, or minuscule existence? It could. Uh, depending on the financials, right? If having a skeleton crew working on your game uh, who barely makes any new content, who kind of just adds uh, balance changes and, and gameplay fixes and bug fixes and whatever else, that that can happen. That that can go on for some time. I mean, many games have had this treatment where they have a skeleton crew. There's no new content, no new expansion, no big content patch or whatever else, but they kind of just keep milking it until it just sort of like fades into obscurity. Now, is it fair that I wait, I don't know, years and years for that game that has a population of five people by the way a real example a five uh person game or a five person lobby or peak time and i only wait until it's literally dead you see how kind of silly it sounds once you start to think about well the human language right <laughs> in, in the in this case the english language right english language is that uh, not saying that english is the human language there's a lot of human languages but english is one of those languages point being is that when I say, man, this place is dead, I don't mean literally dead, right? When people say, man, this place is dead, this restaurant's dead, they don't mean that it's literally dead. It's an inanimate object. It can't be dead, right? What they mean is that it's not as great as they thought it would be, right? It's not living up to the expectations or it's just kind of boring, right? So we can, again, describe subjectively as well what is considered dead, right? Are, are they losing hype? Do they have next to no players, and and yes, we can get into a lot of finite discussions as to what, how many players is considered dead, how many players is considered a failure. All of those questions ultimately can only be answered by the developers. And the reason for that is because unless you're a publicly traded company, like uh, NCSoft, for example, we don't really know what your financials is, not in their entirety. So we don't know, like especially MMO developers are not incentivized at all to tell you what their sub numbers are or population numbers are unless they're doing well. So you're never gonna hear <laughs> Darkfall, one of Darkfall's re reboots being like, hey guys, um, we're currently at 130 players. Why don't you come join the great experience, the great sandbox experience, right guys? Like they're, they're never gonna advertise that. But WoW is going to say, we have 10 million subscribers or, or ESO is going to say, we've had uh, 100 million registered accounts or whatever the heck they say. 10 million registered accounts or 20 million registered accounts and FF. Uh, Final Fantasy XIV is going to say the same thing. We have 20 million registered accounts. Um, we have uh, 100 or a million people were playing during Storm, uh, whatever the heck it was called. 
expansion. I can't remember off the top of my head, and I'm not in the mood to talk about uh, Final Fantasy XIV, but you guys get my point. It's a process, right? Determining if a game is going to be dying or is dying, it's a process, or company, I should say, as well. It's a process, but ultimately, uh, I try and let the facts speak for themselves and then give my criticism, right? I like to say, here is the evidence. Here's the developer saying the game was a flop. Here, here's the developer saying it wasn't very financially uh, successful. Here's the developer saying that they didn't accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. And then here's me also saying it in a different way, uh, usually, right? That's what I try and communicate with my video is, here's what actually happened. Here's where the developer falls into this, where the publisher falls into this. And here's where I fall into this, right? In, in regards to my criticism. And then of course, there's a layer around that, which is kind of like you as the viewer are viewing that and you're kind of like, this is my view of it all, right? That's why I really try and tell a story is how I describe the death of a game videos is I'm telling a story, right? I'm telling the story of a game or a company. It's not meant to bash games. It's never been meant to do that. It's not meant to bash companies. It's not meant to lament and, 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 and get really happy about failures or anything like that. It's about telling a story, right? And telling as accurate as a story as they possibly can. So that's what we try and do with Death of a Game. And I feel like I have to explain this sometimes because sometimes I get comments where it's like, why don't you do more videos? Well, because it takes like a week to research <laughs> and a week to write <laughs> and, and a week to edit or or whatever it is, right? It, it takes a lot of time to put into something uh, of that kind of stature in order to have a good quality product, one that I'm proud of, like with the Telltale video, for example. But I also wanted to bring it up because this will segue into my next point and my final point of the soapbox. Uh, and that's, we kind of need to change the way that we formulate arguments. I think it fundamentally, <clears throat> as a species, right, as a human species, or even just the gamer, if we're going to kind of look at our little bubble, we're in a bubble to some extent, right? We're in the gaming bubble. The way that we formulate arguments, it needs to fundamentally change. Now, all of the, at the end of the day, this could just be completely ignored by people. It's not going to change everything on a grand scale, but I just figured it'd be worth talking about to some extent my problem with the way people that, you know, kind of formulate their arguments. One of these, <clears throat> or I guess part of the criticism, is behind the whole idea of when you don't like something, you don't have to explain why you don't like something. This is a really poisonous bit of culture that I've seen more so recently. Somebody will say, I don't like something, and then you'll ask them to explain it. Oh, I don't have to. It's like, yeah, technically, you don't have to. But how can I take anything of what you say seriously if you're not willing to explain yourself, right? And this is the vast majority of comments that I get on YouTube. <laughs> this is why people hate YouTube. Because you spend 40 minutes in a video explaining something, and one dude shows up, the Chad Lord or the uh, or whatever, shows up and says, and, and, and I... And I'm not even kidding. This is a real quote. Let me find this for you guys. I'll show it to you on screen so you'll realize that I'm not being absurd. Hey, check out. We're going to look at some juicy YouTube comments today. So you guys can see the type of stuff that I have to uh, get through. And why I think people are just so terrible at formulating arguments. Because as emotions get involved in things, people aren't so good at explaining their positions. They're also angry at you if you disagree with them. What I've found to be true in the past week since I've made my uh, WoW video is that, hey, you can talk about things, you can have your opinion, just don't dislike what I like, all right? All right, content creator, don't you dare dislike what I like. Or if you do, 
then I don't want to hear your criticism. But hey, if you talk about other things that I don't like, by all means, hate those things all you want. Like, <laughs> it's all good, man. Like, that's what I've encountered. But check out this beautiful comment that I got on my Guild Wars 2 video. I've never really listened to a guy who has never had sex. Interesting. This is why I described this guy as, as Chad Lord. Steher, uh, the Chad Lord, made it a point to come onto my video and tell me that that's how somebody sounds when they don't have sex. All right, so now the Chads are picking on me. That's great. But then I also had this one. I had this guy speaking for all of World of Warcraft, all of the developers, everybody. He says, World of Warcraft is not PvP. It never has been. You should meet, or you should most definitely go to some other game. We don't want you in ours. So not only is he speaking for everybody, he's telling me I'm not wanted, right? These are the kind of arguments that I get. You are a ganking asshole. Nobody cares why you quit the game. All that matters is scrubs like you are gone. This is in regards to my Albion video. Gankers are scumbags. Get this garbage channel off of my suggested list. By the way, never ganked, never suggested ganking in the video. Only mentioned it actually as a problem systemically. Not that I personally partook in it. But that's the kind of thing is, is like... <laughs> I know some people are like, really? You're picking the worst of the fucking YouTube comments here. I bring this up as a clear example to show you guys that I deal with a lot of drivel, right? And I have to... In order for me to deal with this, I block people immediately. When they say shit like this... Well, I kept this one up because I thought it was funny, but I block people when they when they're either downright insulting or completely fallacious in some way, right? And usually if they don't explain their argument, if they don't explain their argument, those are three uh, telltale, uh, pun intended, signs of you're going to get banned on my YouTube channel. And now the reason why I brought this up is that... Uh, a supporter of ours, someone who watches the podcast and, and likes to watch and engage in my content, linked to me this really funny thread uh, that I really I really want to... A Chad Lord is basically... Uh, so a Chad is a guy who, right, is the bro. He's the one that gets all the sex in the, the virgin nerd in this case, is, the, is obviously the virgin. So the Chad Lord, he's the Lord of Chads. Uh, but anyway, I, I linked this uh, thread, and I'll show you guys on screen. Sorry, I'm a little bit all over the place here. Don't re and hack my emails, please, Nigerian princes. Uh, so someone linked this to me, and it's uh, some guy saying, "My comment have been my my comment might have been blocked, hidden on Nerdslayer's new video. Why I don't play World of Warcraft Battle for Azeroth?" And so I don't exactly know 100% what this guy said. Uh, because obviously I, I very clearly blocked the guy, but let me try and piece together um, what this guy said. Because I think he linked, he linked the image. Let me let me uh, make that bigger. He he wanted to show us a screenshot in which he felt that he was completely vindicated. I was silencing him. I wasn't being fair to the guy. Right? I'm 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 a Nazi. I'm looking to destroy uh, communication or whatever else. Well, let's see what this guy actually said. He says, "Good job. Just grabbed a bunch of criticism on Reddit and hoping on the hate ban or hopping on." The I think he meant to say hopping. Hop. Sorry, let me show this on screen. Hop. Hoping. Hoping on the hate bandwagon. I don't even like the game as its current state, but this video is just bad. This video will. Uh, it was cut off. 
Oh, he says. Oh, he also says, I don't think you actually played the game. It seems unprofessional. None of the footage is yours, which, by the way, is something that I've explained to you guys. When I make my low effort editing videos, I typically rely on other people's footage. And, and, and it's clearly outlined and showed in all of my videos. I also rely a lot on cinematics and developer videos, so I don't have to give, con- or give you know, <laughs> almost said give consent. Uh, things are getting weird today on the podcast, but I meant um, I don't have to give, I don't have to tell the developers of WoW that I'm using their WoW video, right? But this has been well established with my uh, kind of why I don't play videos. They're very, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the person who edits the Telltale video, for example, the Death of a Game video, and the person who edits the why I don't play video or my random bit of editorial, uh, you know, I guess uh, two cents that I wanted to add on a certain subject, they're not the same person. One is me, the one that requires little to no editing, as this guy points out. And the other one is an actual professional editor. So, yes, unfortunately, I can never contend with his videos. But, uh, but yeah, basically his point was he was saying good job, grabbed a bunch of criticism, blah, blah. Like, basically, he never he never actually debated any of the points that I made in the video, right? I think the only thing that he mentioned that I'll slightly agree with is that, technically speaking, Azerite armor isn't completely RNG, right? Technically speaking, it isn't. I know that confuses some because they're like, wait, everyone always talks about it being RNG. It's not technically 100% RNG. It's RNG, but it's not 100% RNG, right? You know what piece of gear is going to have what type of trait, which is a mistake that I made in the video, and I didn't do a good job of explaining that. But I also pinned that comment, just so you know. I pinned the comment where somebody made that claim that Azerite armor actually technically isn't completely random. I pinned that so people would realize that I realized my error. But point being is that when I go from getting comments like, uh, lol, uh, (laughs) you're a ganking meanie, we don't want you to play World of Warcraft. Uh, you're a virgin, nerdin, whatever else he wants to call me, or some of the other great comments that I get. Uh, this is whining. Uh, a guy comes to a, a political, <laughs> sorry, political. A guy comes to a video game journalist uh, or a pundit, whatever you want to call me, personality, whatever you want to call me, and then makes a comment, right? And then you see, I respond here and. and what I'm trying to illustrate to this guy is that if you post on somebody's video that you disagree with them and you seem so vindicated in your disagreement, like you're just like, <clears throat> I completely disagree with you and I know exactly why I disagree with you. Really? Why? Well, you said you don't like the game and I just think that you shouldn't be saying that because, you know, it's mean and it, wait. But what part was I actually wrong about? Uh, Oh, um. Crickets, right? That's basically what what the conversation comes down to. The majority of the time that I engage with anybody of this kind of uh, conversation is it's like (laughs) you have to ask them to make the argument for themselves, which is the sad state of affairs of uh, the argumentative skills of the people in 2018 is that I actually had a guy in my Discord the other day that we had to ban because he broke one of our rules. And one of our rules is that you cannot make claims without actually showing the evidence or backing up your claim, right? That's a very important rule for me because unlike what most people might say about free speech, free speech means you have the ability legally to say whatever you want, right? You do have that ability, but guess what? I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to put up with your shit. 
of you insult me, I don't have to listen to it. I can just ban you, right? I don't have to. Like, nothing says that I have to listen to your criticism. But, as you guys have probably realized already, I'm afflicted with the problem of trying to understand people. So I genuinely read all my comments, and I try and understand people, but obviously at the end of the day, you kind of realize people are either going to argue in bad faith, or don't really want to argue and just kind of want to be emotional about something. And so, I think the way that we formulate arguments to bring it back to my theme, it certainly needs to change, right? Just for my viewers, if, if, if the 20 of you guys who are, the tw sorry, the 31 of you guys who are watching right now, if I could just speak to you guys directly, if I could look at the camera and just speak it to you guys directly, what I would say is that if you dislike something, first think why, right? Why do I dislike this? And then think, is this a game breaker for me, right? Is, it, is this like a, a deal breaker, so to say? If not... Okay, so then what other things am I, why do I keep playing the game uh, besides that, right? If it's a big enough issue, but it's not game breaking. Like taking, you take into these things into consideration, right? And so let's say you go into a video, you watch a video and you disagree with the guy. When you see that you disagree with a guy, right? Like, like whatever his premise is, maybe you have a really good reason to disagree with him. When you say that, right? When you're like, I disagree with you. That's totally fine. You're still existing in what the confines of a normal conversation can be. You can disagree. I can agree. Uh, we can have a conversation, as you saw me and Ulysses just now in chat. You probably don't think that I'm somebody who can't take criticism, right? I, I, I can take criticism. The guys in my Discord beat me up all the time. That's okay. That's what it's there for, right? If I make an erroneous claim, I need to be corrected in order to uphold any sort of like journalistic integrity, right? But just, I implore you guys... When you don't like something, know why you don't like it, okay? <laughs> don't be that person who's like, whenever your friends are asking you to go to a restaurant, and you're just like, eh, whenever they give you suggestions, eh, eh. It's like, why? Why don't you, you want to go to that place? What you'll find is that sometimes your criticisms aren't really merit, or are based on merit. Like, they're not really, uh, sorry, what's the word? Um, as credible as you might have originally thought, right? Under closer examination. Or maybe by actually voicing what your opinion is, the other person on the other end of the spectrum, you know, the other end of the conversation, because it's a two-way street in this case, me and my viewer, if you don't tell me what you disagree with, I don't know what you disagree with. And so therefore, if you're just going to insult me, I'm just going to block you. So if you actually want me to read your criticisms, which I know most of you guys uh, in chat have talked to me numerous times, you know that I'm very approachable. You can message me, you can email me, you can at me, whatever else that you need to in order to discuss whatever you want to discuss with me. But leading with an insult or saying that you disagree without explaining your disagreement, guess what my second question is going to be when you say you disagree? Guess what it's going to be? Why do you disagree? <laughs> right? And I laugh at it and I know it's funny and it's absurd and it's funny to make fun of, but it's true. I mean... Can we just as a community, as the nerd slayer community, as the noir club, can we all band together and just say, let's do our part to make sure arguments are that better, that much better. Don't let people make erroneous claims that you don't think. When you think a claim is not true, ask them to prove it. Ask them to show you evidence. Ask you to show you an example. Ask them to explain themselves. If under further scrutiny, their point kind of just falls apart as it normally does when you uh, or sorry, when you analyze something 
under closer scrutiny, it starts to kind of fall apart, right? You realize that, well, somebody's criticism isn't really that, uh, it isn't really that valid if they can't properly explain what the criticism is, first off, right? Second off, they're explaining what the criticism is. You can determine whether or not if it's a good criticism or a bad criticism. So, and so I realize, guys, I'm telling you this perspective, and there's somebody out there who's not hearing this who's going to argue with you, the person you watching right now uh, or listening is going to argue with you and make all of the same claims that I just made. I hate you. I disagree. And you're going to be like, but, uh, uh, and then you're not going to want to engage, excuse me, with that person. Here's the problem with YouTube, right? The reason why people, again, back to the insulation thing, they insulate themselves because they keep getting met with bad criticism. Bad criticism, yes, this is a very careful distinction to make. Bad criticism doesn't mean it disagrees with you, right? Bad criticism doesn't mean that you don't like the criticism or it's negative. Bad criticism means that it doesn't actually offer anything constructive, right? Because you technically can be a douche and helpful at the same time. I've probably encountered many bosses that were this way, where instead of just telling you how to do something, they got mad at you when you, or they got mad at you when you didn't do it, but they still taught you how to do it in the end, right? So you're like annoyed or you're mad at them, but they still gave you good advice, and that can happen. Criticism can have a subjective slant to it, but ultimately, whether or not you decide to take it in. Or, or address your work or, or take it as a, a means of addressing your work or analyzing your work, that bit is more objective, right? So it's like, at the end of the day, I personally can't discard criticism um, that's good. I can't, even if I disagree with it, even if it's, um, even if it proves that I'm wrong, right? I, I can't easily just ignore that. But most people obviously aren't going to be thinking about such concerns because they're not a public figure like me. They're not thinking that I have to constantly always explain I feel that way, personally. I need to always explain why I don't like something. Why, what's my criticism? Ex- explain my criticism. Exp- explain the analysis of the point of why this game failed or this game didn't fail, right? I have to take the time to explain all of that and to do the research. Uh, well, because in this current day and age, it doesn't seem like other people are willing to. But also because, in my opinion, as a public figure, as someone who now considers himself a video game journalist, I need to very much uh, hold some level of integrity, right? All right, so let's read a little bit of chat right now. We're probably about to jump into our uh, call-in segment. So I'll go ahead and change to my call-in segment on screen. And this is now the call-in segment. You can join the podcast lobby on my Discord if you'd like to ask me a question or talk about anything in particular. Or you can at me in Twitch chat with a question. I do have a couple questions already, so I will get to those. Uh, Brawley said, I wish, a dis- I wish I could have a discussion with Arcage about you. I would love to hear your feedback on my thoughts. You mean about what my problems are with uh, Arcage at the moment or whatever else? I tell you, your videos have a really good deep. Uh, fuck those people. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But I, I it's not that um, I get sensitive to to when somebody doesn't like me, right? Because like I'm I'm somebody who who comes from what I would describe as very very uh, you know simple beginnings, right? I grew up poor. Um, I I certainly grew up fighting a lot. I took to martial arts at a young age to protect myself. Um, I always felt like I was threatened 
whenever I was out and, and, and around, you know, I grew up in, I've shown Ludens on the map where I live and he'll tell you, uh, if he's still in chat, it's, uh, it's not so, so good of a crime rate. So it always kind of made me a little bit more hostile to people who I don't know. I'm always trying to explain people, understand them, analyze their motives. Why are they doing things right? I'm uh, I'm the paranoid PTSD kid, uh, basically in a nutshell, but in this case, I really want to understand people's criticism and understand their points and I want to make good videos. So it's hard for me when you do get kind of overburdened with a bunch of bad criticism and bad comments to ignore that shit and remember the actual good comments. But I do want to make it a point to say that I do get good comments. I do get good criticism and and I do get a lot of support. So I don't want to make you guys seem like there's like a sap story or whatever else. I don't really care about any of that. I'm just talking about, I guess, the discussion itself. But uh, I get plenty of support. And not to mention that I've been proven wrong many times by people who watch my content. They've made points to me uh, quite frequently that I've had to later on um, agree with or kind of like go back and change certain things that I've said or or make a pin a comment or an announcement or whatever like it's happened to me a lot so i very much value my connection with the community because you guys help me make the content that i make but also help me understand kind of uh, where i'm sitting and and keep me honest is how i would describe it because all of the stuff that i say i want you guys to apply to me too when i say i don't like something ask me uh can you explain why if i don't already do it which is very unlikely that i wouldn't but let's just say like hold me accountable too make me explain it right and that's why I started making those why I don't play videos is that I'd be streaming and I'd say, oh, I don't like this game just kind of like offhand. And somebody would say, um, oh, why, why in particularly don't you like this game? And I kind of would realize that, well, it's going to take me at least 10 minutes uh, or five minutes at least to explain my reasons as to why I don't like a game. Shit, for WoW, that video in itself would take me probably 30 minutes at this point. But I made this video particularly for BFA recently. Uh, point being is that it's um it's a process to describe to people why you like or dislike or don't like something um and it's very easy to ignore that process and I, what i mean by process i mean like the journalistic integrity part learning a source addressing the situation properly analyzing something giving yourself enough time to build your premise or to answer whatever your hypothesis is you have to be very careful in these ways and um it's it's a bit annoying. I saw a recent uh, YouTuber, Robocost. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of this person. I'll type it in chat. Robocast or whatever else. I, I'm not a fan of this Robocast's content based on a, a recent video that I saw. He made a video about, um, I believe it was Battleborn that I saw only recently. I don't think the video came out recently, but it was a Battleborn video that he did. and I And it was weird. At nine minutes into the video, he asked the question of, okay, well, besides competition, which is obviously the elephant in the room with Overwatch, why isn't the game doing particularly well? I glanced at the video and I realized he had three more minutes. I was like, we know that last minute you're probably going to like shout out your Patreons or, or do like an ad or whatever else. Do so you have maybe like two and a half minutes, maybe two minutes to explain your entire premise as to what the other reasons that the game aren't doing well or didn't do well? How on earth did you do that in two minutes? Seriously, how could you talk about that much analysis in two minutes? And even if you could, I can analyze my toast for two minutes. That's not enough time to explain the deep, you know, workings of a game or 
or to explain how something can fail properly, right? I mean, you could say Demicore, you could say shots fired to some extent. I'll fire shots at anybody that I think is putting out content that I don't really respect or think that that's entirely good. But again, anytime I see somebody create these types of criticism, the reason why I as a content creator have to voice this is not jealousy. People are successful in their own right. They have their own journey, whatever else. And it's not because I want to be antagonistic to other people because I'm competitive or whatever, right? It's, it's because, the, again, the integrity of the criticism itself. I'm trying to understand how in two minutes can you tell me how Battleborn failed besides mentioning Overwatch? Like, besides the Overwatch part. All of that in two minutes? It's, it's just not possible. <laughs> and so... That's why, like, I get when people criticize even more my more recent videos of not being long enough. Not every video needs to be really long. It needs to be long enough to explain the premise or explain the types of point and analysis that you're trying to make or trying to take away from the game, right? It needs to be long enough. Uh, but some stories are obviously longer than others. Like Telltale, for example, is an entire company that's been around, was around, I guess, technically, for about at this point, like 12 years, right? Or something like that. Like they were around for quite a long time. So I wanted to tell the entire story of that. But point being is um, be careful about YouTube content. And I don't just mean gaming. I'm throwing shade everywhere. Like when people make content, wonder to yourself if you can trust them, right? Are they credible based on their other videos or on their, on their record, right? Are they a credible person? Then look at the data that they're presenting to you, if any. Is it credible? Are the studies done well, right? Uh, where are they getting their information from? Is it from some community website? Or is it from maybe the developers themselves, right? Or, you know, someone who's involved with the development team? You have to look at where all of this is coming from. And, and like like a mystery, okay? You're, you're dodging and weaving, and I've tried to make more of my Death of a Games feel like a mystery because that's what it feels like to me when I'm going through it. It feels like I'm getting through this, like, big mystery. And so I want you as the viewer, and I'm getting better at that, uh, we're thinking about maybe doing clues or something like that in our videos, but we'd like to add more ways for, to interact with you, the audience, to feel like you're also kind of making your own intuit, intuitive leaps. Uh, you know, just a little bit of um, random off-topic question here quickly before I get to the questions. But um, did, have any of you guys ever watched one of my videos, the Death of a Game videos in particularly, uh, or, or sorry, in particular, and had your own kind of revelation, your own intuition that ended up matching mine? I bet you many of you would say... That's happened, right? Many of you would probably say, I thought about that thing that he thought about. I thought about it when he thought about it or when he mentioned it in the video. Or I thought about it by the end of the premise of the video. Well, that's, that's the point. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to make you guys inform you guys to where you can also form your own opinions on how you think things are. Because you don't have to completely agree with mine, but in certain senses you do, right? On, on, the, on the facts that you can't argue. For example, you can't argue that SWOTOR is doing well commercially. You can't make that argument, right? You also can't make the argument that it's, it's meeting its expectations. Can't make that argument either. So those are like very big cruxes of the argument in which I made surrounding SWOTOR. All right, so to get to some more questions, uh, go ahead and at me if you have any question about any topic. This is an AMA, this is a hot take section. If you have a hot take you'd like to make, uh, if you just wanna call in and ask me a question or whatever else, now is the time to do that. Uh, there's a couple questions I wanted to get to beforehand. These are questions that were left for me uh, yesterday. Uh, these people either couldn't be here live or just wanted me to get to these questions and maybe couldn't, you know, ask them at the time. 
The first one is a, yet another question from Rafnar Caldon. He says, uh, he talks about time-gated quests and exploration. Uh, not you have to wait until X day to move to the next part of this quest, but it takes a line from The Hobbit in that you have to stand by the Greystone when the Thresh knocks and setting stone with the last light on Durin's day will shine upon the keyhole. Basically, he's talking about uh, maybe time-specific quests in regards to uh, the change of seasons or the change of uh, day and night cycles. That's an interesting thing. We haven't seen a whole lot of that, and I know anybody can probably remember examples that of games that have this kind of feature where nighttime is different than daytime. Uh, Neverwinter Nights 1 had one, for example. Um, there's clear like delineations between day and night in regards to how the game plays. It's, it's an interesting concept, but uh, to explain kind of more, I think, uh, to what Rafnar is saying here, uh, he also mentions have an exploration event that first you need the lore, then you need to be at the right place times. So I think what he's trying to say is that maybe instead of making a quest log, uh, just go to Joe Blow and grab the package and then deliver it. Instead of that, maybe he's trying to say more of a um, organic kind of questing. Like maybe, for example, they say, like he said, like in the uh, you know poetry stanza or whatever, stand by the gray stone where the thrush knocks and setting the sun with the last light of Durin's day will shine upon the keyhole, a.k.a. when it gets dark, or when it gets light, the light at this time is going to shine on the keyhole and that's going to open the lock, right? I think the idea of quests in that way is interesting. I don't necessarily like time gate or, or only making quests work at like very specific times, like not on a large scale, maybe on a small scale, that'd be fun for a little bit of variety or whatever else. But I do think it's, it's an interesting premise to get back to kind of like the core roots of an RPG, which is that not everything should be painstakingly explained to you. And what I mean by that is that when you're doing a tabletop game, uh, you kind of have to use your brain, right, when you're trying to solve a problem. So you're thinking, how can I solve this quest, right? It's a little bit more open-ended. Well, a lot of quests nowadays are a lot more closed, right? They're closed off. It's clo- it's a closed system, so to say. You uh, kill X bears, five bears out of five, you get the quest reward. Uh, nowadays, they have, like, the extra quest reward, which they stole from Warhammer, by the way, and most people don't give Warhammer credit for that, but the extra quest reward may be, like, you kill extra two boars or five boars and you get the extra XP for it, right? That's kind of like questing is a lot more closed off. What I kind of find interesting is that we don't have more open-ended questing. And not to say that the developer needs to be the one to create this kind of content because they don't have to. We talked about this on the Discord that the other day. Here's the beauty of uh, player-made content. Uh, MMOs first off are tailor-made for player-made content. That's kind of the crux of the game. But on top of that, uh, the the player-made content could make dungeons. If you give people the ability to create a dungeon or create an instance, right? And, and games have done this before. It's not like they haven't. Uh, Star Wars Galaxies has done this to some extent. I've heard uh, Rift has done this to some extent, a scenario creator. Different games have flirted around with this idea of being able to create your own quests, create your own dungeons, create your own PvP excursions. Uh, they tried to do that with um, the, I think they were called Warfronts in... Uh, in Wildstar, they're supposed to be like your PvP crafted like base or whatever. So like people have attempted this before, but I do find the concept of getting giving players the the onus to some extent can have a negative connotation. I understand that because it's like what you're expecting us to play our own game, you know, to make your game for you. But the funny thing is, is the majority of the time the player base, us, are pretty good at that, right? If you look at community made content. We're pretty good at making our own quests and making our own story. I mean, the entire tabletop genre is founded on the idea that, yes, there's a book and certain rules that you follow within a universe, whether it be, you know, D&D or whatever else. 
But um, you can create your own story, right? You can create your own scenario. You can create your own dungeon. Uh, I just realized that I really need to go to the restroom, so I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back, y'all. Okay, that's uh, rather esports, but uh, taking a break <laughs> in the middle of the podcast. But uh, okay, so I think we we kind of covered to some extent what you're talking about, Rafnar. I, I like the idea behind it, like the the theme. I guess I would say, uh, Moon Man asked me a question about time investment in regards to maybe that being an issue with how MMOs play in current day. Moonman1595 says this. He's one of my patrons in Discord. There's certainly something to that. I think we can all say that um, MMOs kind of skewed into the other direction. So at first they started that MMOs took a lot of time investment, right? Almost too much. We could probably argue almost too much time. And so it was like negative in that way. And developers behind EverQuest have, have voiced this concern. They actually thought even EverQuest in many ways was too slow, right? Uh, Brad McQuaid said this himself. But how do we balance the amount of time investment that you put into the game with the amount of uh, benefit that you can get, I guess I would say, right? How do you balance time investment with fun? Now, obviously, I think most of us still want long-term options, even if we might want to focus more so on early game options because we're tired of just playing the game until the very end of the game, right? We want to have fun right away. We want to have fun immediately in the entire experience and not just at the end game. But at the same time, time investments certainly have decreased, obviously, for many of us who've gotten older. We have families, we have jobs, we have other uh, things that we have to adhere to. So it's not easy for us to um, invest the same amount of time as before. So I'm, I'm, I'm with everyone in the sense that I definitely think time investment needed to change. It just looks like it's changed almost too much into the other direction. So I think what we'll see naturally is that the market will kind of come back the other way. That's kind of what I'm thinking about at the moment in regards to that. But interesting uh, point in question, Moonman. Uh, another question that I had uh, from uh, earlier. I actually don't know who this question's from. Does anybody know who this question is from? The one you guys sent me regarding... Oh, Scavello said this one. Scavello. That's how I would say it as a Hispanic man. But uh, 
He says, will you ever do a Death of a Game on Looking Glass Studios and its influence on many recent top-tier titles? Bio- Bioshock, Deus Ex, and Dishonored. Um, I, I'll be honest, I don't know much about Looking Glass. I, I, I'll Google them right now. Let me see um, what games they've done. Because usually I find that you won't be able to figure out What impact something had, unless obviously you realize what games they created. Ah, okay, so that's the company behind uh, System Shock and Thief. Two great, great, great games. Hmm. It's definitely a very interesting story. I, I, will, I will, how about this, Gavella? Scabello. I will, I will add it to my list. How, how about that? Because I do think it's interesting enough to talk about at some point. Ooh, that reminds me. If you guys haven't noticed recently, you will notice. I might as well just make it completely uh, transparent to you guys. Is that um, I, I've started to play... Uh, sorry, not play. I'm like zoning out, reading three different things at the same time. Uh, I've realized that when it comes to making content on YouTube and Twitch... I kind of have to adhere to the the market in some ways. And what I mean by that is that in a perfect world, I would make whatever video I want based on whatever topic I would want, right? Because that gives me creativity. That gives me freedom to make whatever I want. That'd be in an ideal world, right? But I've made this my career at this point. So what I've kind of realized to some extent is that at the moment, until my finances are in a better situation, and that usually happens from more viewers, more subs, that sort of thing, um, I meant like subscribers to my YouTube channel, but I guess Twitch channel would also apply, uh, as well as Patreon donations. All of that basically explains how successful I'm doing as a person, but obviously as a channel. But what that means, unfortunately, is that it's harder for me to get to the more niche games or niche stories that I really want to tell, but I can't really tell because they're not going to make me the biggest return on my investment, right? To, to use the term that I used earlier, uh, ROIs, like in this regards, uh, doing a video on Chronicles of Spellborn, even though I thought Chronicles of Spellborn was a very interesting story and a very uh, story that needed to be told, it's um nobody really played the game, right? No one really knows about the game. Like, and I can admit that. I understand. I'm not one of those like um big, you know, retrospective guys who's like, I will talk about super obscure game and pretend that everyone gives a shit about it in the same way that I do. Like, I know, like, not everyone's gonna care about these stories in the same way that I do but they're still worth telling to me. And at the end of the day, if a story is worth telling, it's a story that I want to tell, right? Because that's the story that needs to be told. Um, if it has an important lesson to teach people, especially, you know, historically speaking, like publishers basically PVPing each other is a very interesting premise for me. <clears throat> but Chronicles of Spellborn ain't gonna pay my bills. <laughs> and And you guys can very easily figure out how much money I make, by the way. I've never really like tried to hide it from you guys. If you go to my social blade, you can see what my views are in the past 30 days. Uh, most people would estimate that a view, each view is 0. 0.003 cents, right? So you can do the math. You, it also even tells you what my estimated earnings are. You guys know I don't make a lot of money from this. And I know the videos and a video that has a, almost a million views might seem like it's popular, but in the big scheme of things, it doesn't make me a lot of money, right? 
So the reason why I bring this up is I like to be transparent with you guys because I don't want to just start to do more popular videos like WoW and Telltale because that was a more current gaming trend. I'm trying to do more current gaming trends, but also just more popular games in general. Right now is the focus because I need to grow my channel to the size that I need it to be. Once it's at that size, then like you see with Donkey and and um, Bunny Hop and these other uh, big, I guess, like video game personalities or or journalists or pundits, whatever you want to call them entertainers content creators there's so many different terms these days uh only call someone a journalist if they actually hold themselves to that integrity like super bunny hop does so i don't think uh donkey would call himself a journalist but he's certainly a personality but those guys in particular can make a video on like some random ass subject and still get a hundred thousand views right because their their audience is their core is is active enough that even if they make a video that's like not that popular or is or is about some obscure game, they're gonna get enough money from it, right? I'm not at that point yet. So once I get to there, it'll allow me to talk about just about anything. But until that point, expect me to talk about the biggest game that I could talk about, the biggest stories that I could talk about, and my reactions to such. Um All right, let's get to the questions. Some more questions. Did I miss anything? Uh, not uh, Saximus said previously, not to get too heavy, but I feel like people have forgotten the serious consequences that come with such mentalities. I agree. I also think that by adopting the mentality of like, oh, let's just ignore all the bad criticism and all the criticism because like some of it's bad is also a bad way to think about things because I've been told great ideas from people who just randomly posted a comment on my video who I probably will never talk to again and probably doesn't even know that I knew or that I was paying attention. Now, I will see the person every now and then be like, oh my God, you saw my suggestion and you made the video for me. And I'm like thankful that that person remembers. But in most cases, it's, <laughs> uh, I can't just discard every bit of, uh, you know, criticism. You have to be willing to take in some of it, right? That's a good point. 1% complete said people don't like some food and their reason is because they've never tried it. Yeah, that's typical. That's probably pretty typical. Oh, I don't like that. You know, I've just never had it. Well, that's not the same as not liking it. You don't even know if you would like it yet. You always leave nice con. Do you, Limpos? I wasn't sure about that. Yeah, you missed the wild topic. Uh, Vizil. You only just reached Colin? What are you talking about? You want to call in, Limpos? Call in, dude. Ask me whatever you want to ask me. It's taken over 30 minutes in the stream to unpack part of why you don't like WoW. You see what I'm saying, Skivel? It's like, I get it. Like, so, Someone in chat the other day said something. Uh, by the way, if I look shorter right now, it's because I'm leaning over because my knee hurts and it's, it's more comfortable for me to kind of slounge in my chair. So I'm bringing it down to typical height level now. Uh, but why do you keep getting yourself hurt, nerd? Probably because I'm a nerd who shouldn't be doing all this shit, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's the lore that I need to create surrounding me. But uh, to address what you were saying in regards to it taking that long for me to explain my criticism of a while, it, it shouldn't be easy to explain your criticism of something that's been around for 14 years, 
right? It shouldn't be easy. It it should be a process. It should certainly take a certain amount of time. Uh, criti explaining criticism in general shouldn't be like necessarily easy. Where can we ask you? You can ask me questions in chat uh, by adding me or by joining uh, the podcast lobby. Demicore, you're absolutely right. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know about the Lord part, but maybe that'll kick somebody's fetish. Chances are he is just abiding to YouTube's algorithm, trying to keep the video within a certain length. Yeah, he probably is to some extent. Pen Zero works. I don't like to always assume the, best, the worst of people, but you also have to kind of take things into consideration, which is like, if you always see a video past 10 minutes, then it probably is 10 minutes for a reason, which we've discovered at this point. Uh, people make videos 10 minutes on purpose. Uh, actually, funny enough, my most recent WoW video, I think, was just about 10 minutes. It wasn't on purpose. I, ne I never take into consideration how long my video is going to be until after, and I look at the voiceover, and I'm like, yeah, it's 30 minutes, huh? So I said all that in 30 minutes. That's basically how my process works in regards to the length of things. Now, I, obviously, I actively try and cut down on how long my videos are, but that's because my na my nature is to want to make long, you know, form essays, but that's not always the most exciting for people, especially, like, before my content. I, I went too much into detail. This is such thing as, like, talking about too many details. It doesn't really add to your overall point past a certain point. This Robocast has twi twice the subs. That's why. You guys are on... If it feels like I'm pulling the wool back from uh, over your eyes, so to say, uh, as you're watching these YouTubers who have 300,000 subs, 400,000 subs, who do analysis, and you watch their video, and you're just like, wait, what was the analysis? I, I run into this problem a lot where I'm just like, where was the analysis? I heard an opinion. That's not the same as analysis. What about my question about, oh, oh, I already got to that one, sorry. I'm a little bit behind in chat. I'd like some comments on the Fallout 76, apparently watered PvP system if it suits you. I'll talk about it a, a little bit. Um, I think there's not much more to say than it seems like PvP was kind of included as like, um, like I don't know, just perchance. Like it just, eh, we'll just tack it on there. It's It's just strange the way they implemented PvP because apparently there's a bounty system. People can pay off the bounty. But then the question is, okay, but why would you kill people? What do you get out of it? You don't loot them. I've seen people get killed in the videos. They don't get anything out of it. So basically besides the, I guess, competition or variety or vanity, like fun, is like uh, whenever you ask a developer of Fallout 76 why you should PvP or what the point of PvP is, my answer, or my guess is that their answer is probably going to be centered around this. Well, it's fun. And that kind of tone where it's like, I guess, right? Like fun. Because what is the reason? Oh, the nukes and the codes. For what? Like, why does any of that matter? Why do we care about the world? There is no world. There's no, there's no NPCs. Uh, somebody was saying that you can do entire quest lines where you're talking to a PC a literal PC, not like player character. You're talking to a computer. It tells you to go here. You go pick up the thing from another computer, and then you go back, and that's completed the quest. It's like, I didn't interact with a single NPC. 
it feels kind of lifeless. I think he made a good point when he said that. I think it was the uh, was it the IGN guy that made that point in his most recent video or his in IGN's most recent video uh, surrounding Fallout seventy six. Griefing, I guess, is another reason somebody mentioned. What's like? What's the point? If think about it, if I'm putting myself into the universe of Fallout seventy six, we can easily make Fallout have meaningful PvP. It's about survival. It's about living, right? You're in a post-apocalyptic world. Like it takes time, money, effort to live, right? To survive. What else do we got? Any other good questions? It's weird seeing and hearing him. Yeah, it's probably even weirder right now when I'm sitting back. There. If I sit up, I'm more like this tall. But I've allowed myself to shrink down to this level as I hobble around on my knee. Been playing Morrowind as of late, and I can't tell you how utterly frustrating it can be to not have anything to go by. I would agree. Limpos, except um, one thing I'll tell you about Morrowind that might help your experience. Read your damn journal. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I feel like your parent right now, but read your damn journal when you play Morrowind, okay? From personal experience, you need to read that journal and interpret that thing like the Bible because that's how you play that game. They don't give you super, you know, clear instructions and a quest marker and whatever else, like all of this other stuff. Like, you don't get all of that. Read that damn journal. That journal will tell you what to do. Wow actually has a few Wow actually has a few hidden quests that kind of fall into that threshold vague hint sends you around the world rewards. Yeah. I would love more of those types of experiences. <clears throat> I think Morrowind's biggest problem is probably its age at this point. Its engine probably feels outdated as hell. I play Morrowind still, and I play it with mods, and the gameplay still shit. I mean, like uh, there's no nice way for me to say it other than it's shit. Looks like we're out of questions. Anybody else wanted to add anything? Hi, I'm the guy from Reddit. Can I leave my question here and hope you might take five minutes answering it? Yeah, sure. Uh, Miss, is that Mrazgrass? Mr. Mr. Asgrass? If you want to join Discord and ask me your question, you're more than willing to, but you can also ask it in chat. Bethesda is conflating PvP with ganking. Uh, you mean in regards to what? Like, are you saying, like, they... They're thinking that PvP is just basically having ganking in the game. I think I understand what you're saying to some extent. If there's no purpose to kill somebody, it's ganking. In my opinion, that's the definition of ganking. If you gain nothing, there's no benefit from killing another player. Resources, survive, build your settlement or whatever. If there's no reason, it's just ganking. Like, you're just killing people for, like, no reason, right? I mean, like... Who cares? There's no rating system. It's not a MOBA. It's not CSGO. I'm not like global elite or something. I can't become challenger or something. It's literally just a repetitive gameplay uh, feedback loop where I'm just killing someone just because I feel like it. <laughs> like That's ganking. There's, there's no reason for any of that. <clears throat> Your co-walker came by. I remember watching podcasts and watching... Uh, I used to always get my lunch during work when I was like 18, so like seven years ago, and I would watch, uh, or at this point, it's more like six or five years ago, so I was probably like 19 or 20, but I would watch uh, 
uh, I'm a cutie pie. Play League at lunchtime. I used to always just sit there and eat my lunch and just watch. And of course, anyone came by, you automatically switch off. You're like, oh. You don't want someone to see that you're like watching a video game because that's weird in itself, but also obviously watching it at work. Become a pro chatter. Yeah, I should just do reaction videos. Just kidding. That only works if you're actually popular. <laughs> if I'm going to play 76 for the PvP, the system basically forces me to be a, gr a griefer. And that's the problem with PvP is people don't understand that at the end of the day, you have to understand why or explain why you would want to or have the desire to kill another player. If the answer is it's fun, it's generally not going to be good enough unless it's like Jedi Academy levels of gameplay fun, right? You're going to need a reason. And when you're in a post-apocalyptic world, there's plenty of reasons to PvP. Why is it that Bethesda is unable to get to any of that? Why can't they tap into the Fallout universe, which at this point is like 20 years old? There's so much lore and stories that they could tell. There's so many ways for them to introduce PvP. They're not doing it, though. So it's like, if PvE is their game, why are there no NPCs? Uh, I'm so confused. You can't have emergent gameplay without enough tools in the game. So if they're hoping that the players will carry on the experience, like most sandboxes or survival games, well, you're going to need more sand in the box. You're going to need some more tools, Bethesda, other than just allowing for PvP or other than having kind of, you know, courier quests. Yeah, I kind of agree with that, Staximus. That's actually a good point. You probably, at the end of the day, need the internet. <laughs> I used to use a guide. So I'm kind of the bad person to go to about Morrowind advice because I used to have a guide as a kid. And now I obviously have beat the game three times, so I remember mostly everything. So yeah, don't ask me about tips in Morrowind in regards to as a new player getting involved. I guess I'm totally out of, <laughs> out of touch and out of perspective. Okay, says he's leaving the questions on my Discord. All right, so um, Mraz asked me a question on uh, Discord. He says, I'm the immature guy on Reddit MMORPG that posted about a comment that got blocked on your YouTube channel. First, I want to apologize to you for the rather aggressive comment on YouTube. English is not my language, so I fucked up the tone a lot. Again, I'm sorry, but I do really care about questions on your video. Why didn't you realize Azerite's traits aren't RNG and even made this one... Even made this one of your points, in my opinion. If you actually played the game, by that I mean Endgame, this is an obviously, or sorry, that is an obviously, sorry, it's he's English second language, so give him some uh, room here. If you are going to make that one of your points, shouldn't you have double-checked it? It's taking a few minutes to check your information so hard for a video chan uh, channel quality. What about after you found out you didn't even bother to pin a comment to correct your own mistake in the video? So, that's, uh, here, I'll, I'll show you guys the link to this. Yeah. So that's a good question. I'm glad you took the time to go back and actually, you know, take the time to address what you wanted to address. So, uh, um, let's see if I can find it. Where is my pinned comment on here? Hmm. I don't have it uh, pinned right now. I could have swore that I've pinned the comment that I wanted to pin. 
So I'll, I'll have to go through and look up exactly. Uh, sorry to show you guys what I'm doing. Oh wait, I always do that. Um, I don't remember exactly what comment was the one that I was going to pin, but there was a comment uh, somebody made where they said that clarification, like this is the point that they made. They said clarification, the gear uh, is random. Whether or not you get the gear is random, but the gear itself actually is only going to have certain Azerite uh, traits on it. So we we actually made this point earlier in the video, or sorry, earlier in the podcast. Uh, I don't think you were there for that. Um, what's this person's name? Mraz. I don't think you were there for that part of the video, but we actually did make that concession that I was wrong about that. And to explain why I was wrong about that, it's actually, in my opinion, fairly easy to to formulate that thought. And the reason for that is that you can't actually change the passives in a piece of gear. So that means that it's natural to not only assume that to get the next piece of gear is based on RNG, which it is, it's it's natural, in my opinion, to assume that the Azerite itself would also be randomized. I think it's fairly, or I think it's fairly rational to assume that. And in my experience, that's what I came away from that experience thinking. Right. So I was I was wrong. I was flawed in my assessment. But uh, I also linked the video um, that what's their name? They're they're a couple that does uh, WoW videos. They did a breakdown of Azerite armor that I briefly mentioned in the video. That's, a, by the way, a really, really good video that explains the problems with Azerite in painstaking detail. I also linked that video. So, like, my, my intention was not to mislead anybody. It was just a mistake that I made based on a, a flawed premise, I guess, that based on it feeling more random to me because the gear was random, I thought that then the uh, Azerite uh, passives themselves were also randomized each time you got a gear piece. Which, to some people, it sounds like semantics. It isn't. To be fair, if you get the same piece of gear, it's going to have the same Azerite pieces of... Uh, uh, or the Azerite passives. But if you get a different piece of gear, it's going to have different Azerite passives. So it is RNG with more RNG, but it's not RNG contained within itself, right? So like once you get the armor piece, there's not RNG within the armor piece itself. So that, that is an important point to make. And I think that that's a fair criticism. Um, I don't know why... I, it's funny when, when you said that uh, it was a pinned comment because I just told the chat that it was a pinned comment. And now I'm, I'm looking back and I can't find the damn pinned comment. So I, I have to go through and find the one that I was trying to find particularly. But somebody basically explained uh, exactly what the mistake that I made in the video was. And I had uh, wanted to pin that one. But any, anyway, I digress. The second question is, if you play the expansion and had in mind that you would make a video about it, why didn't you record your gameplay footage? So this is an easy uh, thing to respond to. So the amount of gameplay footage that it originally took for me to create my Death of a Game videos is insane. Like, I used to spend, I mean, anybody who knew me back then, during Star Wars Galaxies, during uh, Warhammer videos, I went back to those games and I was playing them. Right, to get back into that vibe and to record all of my gameplay. But what I kind of came away with is that first off, I'm terrible at shooting footage in, in some kind of like inventive cinematic way. I'm not a videographer, so I'm not particularly good at recording footage anyway. And yes, I could just use basic uh, vanilla gameplay of me playing the game to put in the background, but it doesn't have the same effect that, for example, a um, a cinematic would. Right or a developer video, 
that focuses, for example, one of the videos I showed quite frequently in that WoW video was a WoW video that dis- uh, described uh, Warfronts. So I thought, I thought there was a, a lot of re- a good reason for that. Um, second, as I've mentioned before, when I try and make my opinion piece videos, which are very obviously opinion piece videos, when I say I don't like something, that's an opinion, right? When I say something is dying, yes, it's an opinion, but it's an opinion that's based on a lot more rigorous research. So when I make a personal opinion video, first off, it's edited by somebody else. I've already mentioned this. So I edit the video myself, which means that I don't have the same resources that my actual editor does. He takes a lot of time to go through a lot of different gameplay footage that other people have made, that other videos that people have made, um, videos that demonstrate things like bugs, glitches, um, maybe excitement, uh, maybe a reaction video, maybe a review he posts or whatever else, meant to show you that it's not just about me. That's the important part of my content is if I only ever show just my gameplay, not only is it more difficult to make such a video, but it also, I think it incorrectly communicates to the audience that this is only based on my gameplay experience, which is just not true. Like when I show um, PC Gamer in, in the Darkfall video getting declared war on, that's a very integral part of the story, right? To show how united the community was at that time, but also kind of how toxic they were to some extent. So uh, it's important to show those other types of videos that I, I, I wouldn't be able to show on my own, right? So I, I can't show a developer video. I can't make that myself is what I'm trying to say. So I do need to rely on other people's videos. And I always have. That's kind of, I guess, the marking of my channel is to some extent. I rely a lot more heavily on on other people's gameplay and experiences than probably most channels do. But that's on purpose. Because yes, I could do what most people do, like Clean Prince has done with multiple of his videos, which is take the same gameplay he's recorded and then just repeat it over and over again. I could do that to some extent, right? But instead, if I can go out there on YouTube, type in exactly what I'm looking for with the exact gameplay, with the exact video that I want, if I can showcase that one and just give that person credit, that's a lot. Not only is it easier in terms of time spent, but it's also more effective in telling the story or, or telling the point that I wanted to tell, if that makes sense. Uh, but to explain, I actually did record my gameplay, but like I said, it Recording my gameplay or not doesn't change the fact that it doesn't uh, uh, communicate the same things that I wanted to communicate with the video. That's why I show a lot of cinematics, low effort, editing, but also it explains to people the type of vibe and essence that I was talking about. When I said that Battle for Azeroth made me feel something, that's a feel reaction. So when you when you make a feel statement, you want to show footage, right, of a cinematic or something that kind of evokes feeling or music or whatever else. A third question is, okay, maybe you just don't want to record your own footage, but what is the reason of using beta gameplay footage, which contains unfinished interfaces showing? Although it might not even matter because that doesn't change your points in the video, but where's the quality? It's hard to get any footage of those interfaces other than beta footage. Um, well, so when I look for footage, I typically will look for it based on the year that I'm collecting the footage. There's been exceptions. I've made a mistake in, in regards to when I did the EVE Online video. I just looked up EVE Online gameplay and basically chose the first one that I could see that I could actually watch that showed the ship zoomed in and not completely zoomed out. And so I made the mistake in showing like a tutorial video. And I remember people let me have it for that one. And I totally understand their point. In that case, it didn't actually change what my criticism was. And in this case, it's much the same. Whether or not I showed beta footage or didn't show beta footage, 
it doesn't change any of the criticism that I'm making. Because I never made criticism about the interface. I never even talked about the interface, period. So it's not like I'm trying to intentionally misrepresent something. It's that I'm not going to put the same level of effort and care into a video that I'm making that is first off more based on my opinion, right? Because just naturally speaking, I can't. Right? It's it's at the end of the day, it's chalked up to this is what I think because I feel this way or think this way, right? But also, as I said, I couldn't be able. I, I there's no way I would be able to keep up with the content pipeline that I would need to keep up if I also had to record every bit of footage that I needed to record. To to, to give you guys an idea of how long Death of a Games used to take for me, my old Death of a Game videos took me. I think the first one took me a month to do or three weeks or something like that of like working on it religiously. I don't know about you guys, but um, not only is there no ROI on a month's worth of work, <laughs> like putting that amount of work into something isn't going to give me a return on my investment, but it's also not really going to make my points any better, right? Of whether or not I show me showing you a uh, speeder flying around versus showing somebody else's speeder flying around. Now, one thing I will fa uh, freely admit that by not doing such, it does communicate the idea or, or maybe criticism that I'm not playing the game, which I think is a fair criticism to make uh, in the sense that if I'm not going to showcase my own footage, is it because I'm bad? Is it because like, I don't want people to think that I'm bad, which could affect my criticism? Or maybe they just don't think that I'm playing the game, period. But I mean, people in this community... No, I've played the game. That's why I'm not really worried about defending that claim because I've both streamed it. Uh, maybe in a little bit. But also, um, I've, I've streamed my gameplay. I've played with people from the Discord and I've also talked ad nauseum about WoW. At this point, uh, I think that's quite apparent. Um, I w again, to go back to your, I think, first point that you made, the Azerite point that you did make is a point that I do want people to understand is one that I'm absolutely wrong about. So I, I hope that I was clear about that. And I think I answered every question. I'm not really... Like, at the end of the day, it seems like you basically want me to showcase all the footage myself from my own perspective and only my own perspective. Uh, I would say, conceptually, I disagree with that. But also, I disagree with it from just a um, ease of access kind of... In order for me to create content... If I had to create, uh, or if I had to get a shot that is every kind of shot that I want it to be, I can't recreate all of those shots. First off, I can't recreate the vibes behind it. Like when we show reactions, like Maximus Black and Paragon, we show different reactions, different streamers reacting to things. I can't communicate. When I showed uh, Soda popping in my um, in my Bless Online video, like I can't communicate that in the same way that I can by showcasing the other. So at the end of the day. Um, as long as I'm using other people's content uh, legally, right? And, and I know the legal stuff is very confusing because what is considered um, transformative use? I know that's a discussion we can have for another time. But at the end of the day, what I have done on all of my videos, I argue and would always argue it's transformative. So legally or in regards to YouTube's law, I, I'm never in danger of any of that. And I would never steal anybody's footage without giving them credit nor steal anybody's footage, uh, period, without giving them credit. Uh, so I think that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. I also, I appreciate you taking the time, even if you, you know, maybe might not like me or, or might really want to uh, drive in a certain point. I don't know what your stance is or who you are personally. So 
I just actually, funny enough, I just appreciate the fact that you came back and <laughs> decided to re-ask the questions. I don't think I've ever seen that before. <laughs> uh, that, that cracks me up. Yeah, like, like Vazil said, they're not truly random, say, but it's also very impossible to target the specific one that you want because of the RNG rates. That's, that's the point that I should have made, Vazil. I did a poor job in doing that, and I also directly... Uh, I don't think I made the claim per se that all of the traits themselves are random on each piece of armor set. I didn't make that exclusively. Like, I didn't make that claim, but I inferred it greatly. I will totally admit that I inferred it. In fact, I believed it. Which is even a step greater. Same for Hellgate London. Yeah, same for Hellgate London. Hellgate London took me just so long to make that video. Hellgate London honestly was the first video that taught me, all right, nerd, if you're going to make these videos, you can't spend all the time trying to record the kind of footage that you want to record. It's just not realistic for me to do that. And look, if I was a better orator, sorry, not orator, if I was a better videographer, if I was better at filming, like if I was as good as my friend um, Adun who runs the Rustfall server, like if I was as good as him at, at creating and filming things, because he's, a, again, he's a videographer, he does it as his trade, like professionally, then I totally would agree with you that I would be much more effective at communicating the kind of gameplay shots that I would want to communicate. But obviously right now it's kind of like, <laughs> I don't even know what really to show you guys, whereas I can go find somebody else doing exactly what I want in a fraction of the time. Is the unmodded game also insanely dark in dungeons? A question about Morrowind? Uh, no, it's it's not. I actually specifically mod my game to be very dark, so you have to use a a, a torch. Wait, exactly, Ludens. Like, whenever I'm uh, so to explain to people the kind of again for people who watch the stream, Staximus, uh, Limpos, Pin Zero, Ludens, like they've all been around while we've been discussing this as a community. That's why they they're always going to kind of come to bat for me because they know the amount of work and, and, and explanation I, I put into things. But what I, what I mean is that uh, those videos inherently uh, take less editing and they're designed that way specifically because I, I ask people a question on my Discord and in my, uh, t in my Twitch chat. And the question was, would you guys like if I made more videos but lower effort videos? That wouldn't mean that I would take low effort in you know, taking the time to explain my criticisms necessarily, but it would be low effort in the way it's edited, perhaps uh, shorter videos as well. Maybe also um, I don't go into as much particular detail as I normally would whenever I'm making an, an analysis. And every, and re basically the resounding opinion was yes. Um, but they said that as long as it's very apparent that it's an opinion piece. So I named the series Why I Don't Play, which is, for me is as apparent as I possibly can be. <laughs> that I'm not saying WoW is a bad game. I'm not saying WoW, uh, 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 you know, basically when I talk about wow in the video for uh battle for azeroth it's more so talking about it from the perspective of of as a community but also my personal opinions at the end of the day it's my personal opinion so that's why i even say in the very beginning of the premise i'm not trying to change your opinion i'm just trying to inform you as to what my opinion is and i know at the end of the day people are going to be offended by that and not be happy with that especially if i disagree but i there's nothing i can really do about that All right, what else, guys? The EVE Online video is another that resonated with me a lot. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, just so you guys know, Card, who's in Discord, uh, who handles moderation, uh, he is a big EVE player. 
And Card and I have had very civil discussions about EVE Online because at the end of the day, we actually agree on most things in regards to EVE. It's just that I personally don't find the gameplay feedback loop, like the, the combat, so to say, uh, on, on, on a visceral level, the RTS combat, I don't find it very fun. And I didn't do the best job of explaining that in that video because, once again, that's kind of the problem of making it low effort to some extent is I could have done a better job. And I'm sure in the future I'll make another video that talks about my specific gameplay design uh, problems with uh, EVE Online. But we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that at some other time. Because, yeah, I, d I definitely didn't think I did the best job of explaining that. But uh, after I've talked to people personally about this dis uh, this topic, by the way, I've met with EVE Online people. I've gone on EVE Online podcasts and talked about this sort of thing. So I've never shied away from any of that criticism. I've met it head on because I want people to understand my position, which is not that I'm trying to mislead you by showing you a specific type of gameplay. It's more so that I'm trying to show you that that's what I feel when I play the game, is that level of boringness. <laughs> Yoink, my footage now, every channel that uploads highlights. Yeah, highlight videos, uh, those are definitely different. They don't have the same credibility, I guess, as somebody who's taking the time to uh, explain the, the concept of something. I feel like that series is a bit ambitious. There's like a thousand games that you don't play. It's more so obviously MMOs, Limpos, which I know you know that. <laughs> but it's also people specifically um, ask me questions as to why I don't play popular games. You know, the most popular games are going to be the ones that come up first. So that's why, you know, I'll have videos for Elder Scrolls. I'll have videos for, for um, Final Fantasy, any of the other popular MMOs. Those are probably important for me to explain to people why I don't play because I get those questions a lot. And then I can only explain it one time. I don't have to go back and explain it over and over again. Uh, but maybe I do to some extent. I don't know. I think it's uh, right about the end of this podcast, though. I'm tired. My stomach is growling like a mother. Hell. And uh, like, I'm, uh, like, what's that one slang term? Mother chugga? But yeah, I'm really hungry and tired. So should probably address both of those things. Oh, uh Mraz responded once again here. Let me show you guys what he's saying so you see that I'm not just quoting anything. Big thanks and respect for the reply on stream, but I really do hope you can improve the quality of your video by just using the right footages. I do mentioned, I, I do, okay, sorry, I forgot the English second language. I do mention that using beta footage doesn't change your point. My point is more towards why you didn't take the ease improve of quality by just using the not beta footage. I think those interfaces showing can be, can even can even be easily found on Blizzard's official videos. Uh, unfortunately, gameplay is not shown on Blizzard's official videos, not in any serious capacity. It's mostly cinematics or developer videos. I know, I, I check. <laughs> I always try and just use the gameplay the developers create themselves because I don't have to worry about, you know, somebody saying, don't use my footage or, or, or somebody questioning anything. I can just show the footage, right? Uh, but game, uh, developers don't typically show gameplay. I think one of the few examples is like, um, man, what is it? Does anyone know off the top of their head what's a good example of a developer actually? Oh, a Rift has done that. Um, I know that's not the best example because people hate that game. Arcade used to do that. They had a community manager who used to play the game on stream. Obviously, you see it in other games like MOBAs. I've seen it in MOBAs all the time. But you don't see it a lot in MMOs. Like, I guess... Developers don't normally like to play their game and show show it to people. And then also, I don't know. It's it's strange. You don't see it as, as much. Mother clocker. 
gravy train. Anyway, what that was for? He said, and by pinned comment, you're applying, you're applying someone's comment actually isn't obvious enough. Yeah, I, I, I know. I so to explain what he's saying, I re- replied to somebody's comment and I admitted that I was wrong, but I didn't pin the comment. I, I forgot to pin the comment, <laughs> which, which I realize is a problem because he probably had like one upvote and no one ever saw the 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 me admitting it. But I've admitted it now on the record for you guys, and I also I'll make sure to post it, you know, right after this podcast so I don't forget. I suggest you comment your own comment. Yeah, I think I'll do that as well. Actually, I'll just do that. That's a good point. Now, I totally believe that you wasn't trying to mislead people on purpose. But to be honest, it's really hard to tell if I'm not in your community and just happen. Yeah, I can see that to some extent. And I certainly get that criticism. So I'll try and be more sensitive to that in the future. And also, um, I'll make it a point in regards to the way that I collect gameplay uh, footage to making sure it's as current as possible. Because... At the end of the day, the majority of people who watch my editorial videos tell me the same thing. I don't watch the video. I just listen. Right? Many people in chat will agree with that sentiment. But at the end of the day, people are still watching it, so I still have to take that into consideration. So I, I totally understand. Thanks for taking the time to come back and explain yourself. Though. I really appreciate that. No, I'm. <laughs> one of my friends came into... Uh, Sam came in and he was like, sounds like you're defending yourself from a, a major scandal. No, I'm just explaining my reasoning. Like anytime anyone explains a reasoning, it does seem like you're defending yourself greatly, but no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just taking the time, uh, on, on the spot to talk to this guy who had some criticism of my, uh, content, which I think in some ways he's very valid, even if I disagree. But, uh, does anybody else have anything you would like to add before we go? I think this is a good time as any for me to stop. We're currently at three hours and 34 minutes and we actually increased in viewers. So I don't know exactly how that works, but apparently you guys like listening to me talk and hopefully um, I was clear enough today. Like I said, I actually went to sleep like four hours ago or, or wait, no, at this time on the podcast, seven hours ago. So I was up for like 20 minutes before I started the podcast. I don't normally like doing that. I just, I'm terrible at waking up earlier in the day. But I know that I'm really trying to like appeal to my uh, European audience because you guys are the Europeans are my most active audience. And I know not to shit on the Americans. I know some of you are loyal too, but uh, Europeans are. If you look at all of my moderators, they're all European, um, <laughs> and all of the most like popular or common posters of content on my videos or 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 discords, they're all European. So it's just the European. Europeans taken over, basically. Um, you're in Canada. Looking forward to the Looking Glass video. Yeah, it, it'll come out at some point soon, TM. Raid night is pretty rough. I'm American. Feels bad. I'm American too, man. Don't worry. Canada as well. All right. Uh, yeah, I think I'm done here. guys. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to stop by the podcast today. Uh, we are glad to have you on Six Pixels Under. Remember you as the audience. You're part of the show, whether you called in, whether you asked me a question. I appreciate all of that. Uh, I also appreciate those who've disagreed with me, who take the time to explain why you disagree with me. I really appreciate that because it makes it easier for me to understand what your problems are in the first place. Um, I also want to thank those who stayed the entirety of the podcast. I'm, I pay attention. I see, I see the same guys in chat. I see you guys. I appreciate that. I also want to uh, welcome the new subs to the channel. I think we're currently... It says 16, but did it just go down? It just went down. 
man, this sub game. I see why like you or sorry, why Twitch streamers always talk about subs and suggesting people to sub because it's like you forget about it. They forget about it, especially if you have that monthly uh, Twitch Prime thing. You have to constantly reapply your sub to somebody. So I went from 13 to 14 to 15 to 16 back to 15 just in the span of this one podcast in regards to the way subs work. So which is a uh, it's it's foreign to me. I'm I'm learning it, but um we'll have to figure out how to do it properly. And I've tried to introduce some incentive to want to get people to sub to it that way I double dip to some extent. Hey. You know, <laughs> private contractor got to make money in some kind of way, right? But uh anyway, thank you everybody for stopping by. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We had a lot of Fallout 76 talk, a lot of World of Warcraft talk. Um, a lot of talk about criticism and, and the problems of it and also kind of how to how to get around all the bullshit, I guess, to some extent. I'll make a video on that at some point, for sure. Um, that's definitely a discussion to have at another point. But um, yeah, other than that, uh, have a good rest of your week. Um, I don't think I'll have another video coming out this week. I really want to focus on writing the next Death of a Game video. That's another thing we're trying to do. Let's put more time into each Death of a Game so we can kind of put them out in the same way that we did with this telltale one, which is probably my favorite video that we've done so far. Uh, I think the next video I'm between right now, Marvel heroes uh, online. I'm also thinking about dark age of Camelot. Uh, that's another consideration. Asheron's call is also on the list. So I've been considering those for a while. Um, but you have to realize when it's a game that I haven't played a lot or played extensively, it's very, very much a big ask for me to do a death of a game on it. And what I mean by that is that it takes longer. I have to research. Like, I can't, and most of these games are posthumous, right? I can't go back and play them uh, or can't currently play them in the same way that I might have been able to back then or wouldn't get the same experience. So it, it requires a lot of immersion, what I like to call immersion, which is basically just me reading it, like any review I can read, critics, players, uh, reading metrics like Met- Metacritic, uh, game reviews, uh, game review score, sorry, is the website, uh, or game rankings, Steam reviews, uh, reading critical reviews, watching uh, YouTube response videos, watching, uh, you know, reading developer testimonials. Like, it, it's really, it's a lot of me trying to understand what the game is, how it plays, from the perspective of those who play it. So, the claim that I'll never make in those videos that I don't play the games that well, like for example, I can tell you a good example. I never really played Hellgate London. That's why I took the time to go play it because I, I really just didn't understand like what was the allure of the game. So I had to play it. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes you just don't understand no matter how much reading or research you do. But in the case of, um, uh, in the case of All Points Bulletin, I didn't play that game particularly much, right? But my best friend did. So I had his ear as well as you know, people who've left reviews, people who've left uh, videos, people who've, um, you know, critic scores. When you look at everything in its aggregate, right, all together, it's very easy, in my opinion, to find the patterns and to come to a conclusion as to kind of what the general consensus is, right? But once you discover the general consensus, then you have to dig a little bit deeper, right, and figure out, okay, where is the... Because you guys know there's the bad reviewer, there's the positive reviewer, the truth is somewhere in between usually... So it's it's a lot of research and trying to understand people's perspectives on things, especially for the time. That's the most important thing. Like if I make a Dark Age of Camelot video, a DAOC video, for people who didn't play the game at the time, 
they're not going to understand if I just describe it as like, well, you had to be there to experience it, right? I need to explain to you how those players felt during that time, not right now. Because if you as a person look back at Dark Age of Camelot, you're going to be like, Statement, something approaching joy is now growing in my behavior core. I'm wrong about you and this is a little support that I can afford as a college student. <laughs> Wait, who was that? I don't even see where that came from. That kind of scared me. <laughs> All <laughs> All of a sudden, I just hear HK47, and he's just like, statement. I'm like, am I that? Am I that out of it right now that I'm just, I'm I'm like having a conversation with HK47 in my head? Did anyone else hear that? Uh, no, that was uh, Mraz donating three dollars. Thank you for donating three dollars. He said, if you guys didn't hear, I'm wrong about you, and this is a little support that I can afford as a college student. First off, if you're a college student, you don't have money, guys. Don't give me money, okay? I might be struggling, right? You guys know how much money I made. I already told you guys. It's not a. I don't ever make it about. Oh, please give me money because I'm I'm poor because I'm, I, you know, I need more money. Like I I never make those claims to you guys. Only give me money if you can. You have the means, and you want to support me, right? Because you ain't getting that money back. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> yeah, don't don't give me money if you're if you don't have money, please. But thank you, Mraz, for being a college student who gave me money. I appreciate that. Nerd, you got to call out more. <laughs> on that in, or on that note, it's a good time to stop. My my knee is hurting like hell. I need to go ice this thing because I'm supposed to be elevating it. Otherwise, it gets swollen. It's a good time to stop uh, the podcast. We've been all over the place, but I think you guys have mostly enjoyed that. The people who are viewing this after probably won't because I'll miss a lot of the jokes. But uh, anyway. Have a good rest of your week. Um, as I always end my podcast, I tell you guys, make friends, have fun, live life, pursue your dreams, your goals. Don't listen to people who tell you you can't do things. Study. And I mean actually study. Like try and understand things. Learn new skills. Listen to a podcast. Listen to music. Really enjoy food. Talk to your family. Talk to whoever you can. Be a human. Go out there. We're nerds. We like to play games, but also do the social interactions and stuff. And uh, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do anything. There you go. That's the end of today. And on that note, peace.